This show is brought to you by Cakes and Tins, where you can send the people you adore delightful and delicious gifts that give back. Go to cakesintins.com and use the code ACTINGREAL for 10% off. This show is also brought to you by LA Bookmaker, a deluxe stationery shop and custom bookbinder, offering handmade foil stamped cards, high quality calendars, and other ephemeral gifts. Go to la-bookmaker.com. My guest today is Maria Dizia, who is one of my old friends and favorite people. And uh, I know I say that everyone's one of my favorite people, but I have so many favorite people. Um, And uh, this episode is so, so rich. Um, I just like, you know, I take these, I have show notes. If you don't know, you can go to the show notes page on actingrealpodcast.com. And I have, um, you know, I make the show notes for every episode and we talk about so many things. I mean, you know, like we refer to, you know, we go from like parenting stuff to different kinds of therapy to, um, all of these to charities that Maria's done some fundraising for to young, the red book. Um, I mean, we just SNRIs, the vagus nerve, the xiphoid process. I mean, it's really just a wide ranging conversation that we have. She, um, has had crippling anxiety, which we, she talks all about and talks about how, um, she has, coped with that anxiety and it's just bananas because Maria you'll know and I'll list all our credits in a second but she's done so much film and tv of course but she also I mean has done so much theater um she goes out in front of huge audiences night after night and um you know talks a lot about stage fright I I mean if you have stage fright (laughs) This is the episode to listen to because you would never know in a million years that someone with Maria's experience and someone with her level of craft would possibly be feeling all of the feelings that she's felt. Um, So we talk all about that stuff and so much more. Um, She's just done so much research in her time here on this planet, um, both with the purpose of knowing more about life and um, the purpose of knowing more about herself and the ways that those things intersect. Of course, um, I just, I just fucking adore her. Okay. If you don't know who she is, which of course you do, um, you may recognize her, uh, most recently from Orange is the New Black, 13 Reasons Why, the HBO show The Undoing, or ABC's Emergence. You may um, you likely also recognize her from the films Martha, Marcy May Marlene, While We're Young, and True Story. Maria also has an extensive list of theater credits. She was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Performance by a fe- Featured Actress in a Play for her performance in The, ne- in the Next Room. Uh, her, sorry, her performance in In the Next Room or The Vibrator Play. So amazing. I saw that show when she was in it. And off-Broadway, she was nominated for a Drama Desk Award for Lead Actress for her performance in Belleville at New York Theatre Workshop. She's also performed at the Barrow Street Theatre, Manhattan Theatre Club, The Roundabout, and with so many other off-Broadway theatre companies. Most recently, she starred in the national tour of What the Constitution Means to Me by Heidi Schreck, which won both Obie and Drama Desk Awards for Best Play. Um, 
sorry, which won both VOB and Drama Desk Awards for Best Play. Uh, that's the last thing I saw Maria in. And we recorded this interview, um, in fact, while she was still doing that show here in Los Angeles at the Mark Taper Forum. Um, we recorded part one. Uh, this is a two-parter. Um, part one was recorded February 26th. 2020 so obviously that was before quarantine that was before covid that was before so many things and we were just recorded a part two on april 19th um of 2021 so enjoy this episode it's really just so 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 rich she is an incredible actress maria dizia and um has so much wisdom to share so i hope you guys enjoy and you have to discover where the bones go What I need for my life, I am drawn to create the play. And you must use the play. You um, must use it I mean, like, like an ingredient. I don't know. Have you ever listened to my podcast? Yes. You don't have... You yeah, have? Yeah. You have? I have. I listened to the first one that you... Oh, that's so nice. Aired. Okay. Well, anyway, so you know that I'll do an intro of you later, so I don't need to do an intro. Right. I kind of want to jump in because what we were talking about was really interesting, and I feel like it relates with a lot of other stuff, which we were talking about how we're both really like food liberal parents with yes. our kids. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and, um, and I feel like that's significant because m- I feel like most people in the world, I mean, even when I was a kid, really like want to control what their kids eat in like a significant way. Now, like I will say- I think very much. And I I think that, um, yeah, a lot of parents, I mean, my closest friends, I feel like are not like that. But I think that a lot of parents, like when you go to birthday parties and stuff like that, there's a lot of stuff. And I feel like people look at me when I'm like- Before you eat that. Yes, right. And I feel like my daughter is often the only one who's allowed to have another cookie. Yeah. That's you know what, what I mean? And all I know. I already like, just like, yeah. I was just checking a message from my sitter. That's who's being your sitter right now. Oh, right. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so I will say that like I'm, I'm not, I'm far from compulsive about it, but I am mm-hmm. like, I want her to eat organic. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I try and buy like healthy stuff. Right. But like in terms of like sugar, fat, carbs, wheat, dairy, soy, like I'm not that yeah. crazy. No, um, I feel the same way about it. Although Albertine, interestingly, um, hates milk. Huh. So she's a non-dairy kid. Oh, interesting. Except ice cream. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was if it's covered saying, in if it's covered in sugar and flavored chocolate, then she likes it. I was just saying But she won't have a glass of milk. She doesn't Oh, interesting. I mean cupcakes, she doesn't like donuts. Huh. She doesn't she oh, won't eat wow. pizza. Oh, weird. Oh, yeah. interesting. She's right. like lactose. Yeah. Aver- do you think averse. she's intolerant? I, I don't. Just no, because I've yeah. talked to her about it a little. She's not into like the texture. She doesn't like seeing like the quantity. You oh, know, she doesn't like, she's like, it's just like a whole bunch of white stuff. And God, I'm like, when so you cool say when it like that. When talks like that, when she's like five and she can like fully express herself. It is. It's exciting because it was when she was, um, when she was August age, like that stuff was starting to emerge. Yeah. But I wasn't able to talk to her about right, it. Right, of course. And so now, so my favorite thing is what she said. She doesn't like cheese and 
what she finally explained to me was she doesn't like the texture. Yeah. She said she was like having your, she's like, I don't like when my teeth sink into something. Oh my <laughs> And I was like, well, yeah, that sounds gross. That's so thrilling. <laughs> I just love that you get to have that level of conversation yeah. with her. Um, okay. So, but back to the food thing. So yeah. you were just saying that like, wh- and why did you make that decision to be, or did, was it really easy for you to, to just be like, I'm no, not No, I mean, I definitely thought about it because the, like weight is something in my family, uh-huh. you know, because there's diabetes and heart disease in my family and um but some people would have gone the opposite some people would have right been like, there's weight there's diabetes and weight stuff in my family so this so kid therefore can't being really strict anything yeah right no because it seems to me like i just remember you know my family wasn't that strict we didn't have sugary cereals but i just remember when it was my but the thing was my grandmother lived with us and she cooked for us mm. and so we had an italian nonna mm. <laughs> cooking for us so I didn't realize until much later in my life actually how well I was eating for the first 18 years of my life so I mean I don't think we even had butter it was olive oil and everything was you know fresh vegetables she made her own pizza oh my you know right I mean it's pretty extraordinary yeah and you know I remember her she would talk about like eggplant parmesan and she was like I don't understand Americans they put mozzarella on it it's eggplant parmesan I mean it would just be like Mm. eggplant olive oil tomatoes and some parmesan anyway so that's how I was eating then when I went to college and my favorite thing to eat was uh, white bread with icing on it. <laughs> that was what I ate. And that was also when my depression really started to emerge. And it also wasn't until much later that I put those things together. But my experience in my life had been that ultimately you're on your own and that you have to make all those decisions by yourself. And I thought that the sooner you figure out how to make those decisions by yourself, the better off you are. So that rather than being like a 19-year-old and on your own for the first time and being like, fuck it, I'm just going to have bread with icing on it, yeah. that, she's, that she'll be like, I did that already. Yeah. Like I did icing with bread when I was 10 and exactly. it's gross yeah. and it makes me feel bad, <laughs> you know? And so that I, I just feel like, you know, and I, I do think that's one thing like my parents, like we drank wine at dinner and I also drank coffee when I was a kid. Yeah. Oh, you really? Know? Yeah. How coffee old? with a lot of milk in it. How old were When you? I was two. Oh my God. Yeah. We would go to my Aunt Ruizzi's house. Did you, does Albertine drink coffee? She has had coffee, coffee and she yeah. likes it. She, she enjoys the looks that she gets when we go to a, yeah. when we go out and she goes, Ooh, coffee. Can I have some? Yeah. But then usually when it's time and I'm like, do you want to sip? She's like, no, I'm good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> she like, likes the theatrics uh-huh. of before. Um, but like, I noticed how that like stuff, how, you know, the, you know, in college, I, I don't know. I drank as much as the next person. Sure. But I maybe. And now how are so you much. with food now? Are you like, are you like, what would you say your relationship to mm. it is? Is it clear or do you feel like you're, you, no, you I would say unclear. Uh-huh. No, I would say it's unclear. And I think I'm very much like a product of the time. Like I so often, I mean, I would like to think that my relationship with food is my own and individual, but I think that I am like completely a product of my time. So what does that mean? Like you're dieting. So about, like you which like, means that, like, stuff. like, yeah, it means that I'm restricting, like I know about the stuff that, uh, you know, like I like oat milk and almond milk uh-huh. and all those things that are like readily available and stuff like that. But if something is not ready, available, readily available, I don't like really seek out the healthy thing. Like the way I definitely like have friends who, uh-huh. You know, are members of co-ops sure, and sure. have um, what is that? You know, you get the vegetables to your house. Sure, yeah, no. fresh. I mean, I eat like whatever. yes, no. Yeah. I eat like somebody who grew up in New Jersey, uh-huh. which to me means I eat a lot of processed meat. And do you stress about it though? Do you like? Are you? I go back and forth. I think sometimes I go through times like I completely ruined my metabolism with a juice cleanse. Oh, I'm conv- interesting. I'm, I'm completely convinced that that. 
When did that happen? Or um, when do you think that happened? I remember I was working on a show and it was, you know, a show and I had to have not so many clothes on. Uh-huh. And I was like, the way to get through this is to be on a juice cleanse. Yeah. <laughs> it was nuts. Oh, gosh. The only good thing about it was it was the best avocado I ever had in my life when yeah. I finally started to oh, eat yeah, sure. food again. Sure, sure. Um, but I really, my, I, my metabolism wasn't the same after that. I just feel like I gained weight so differently after that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I just felt like my body was storing it because it was like, I guess we don't know when well, that's going to happen like again. I feel like the best way for me to get fat is to go on a diet. Yeah. I honestly uh-huh. do feel <laughs> like that. I mean, like as soon as I get weird about food, mm-hmm. I like start putting on weight. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm like, I will eat. No, I mean, that's not t- entirely true. No, no, no. Like I'll, I could be on a diet for like months or weeks at a time yeah. and like get really skinny or feel really skinny. Mm-hmm. But then like eventually I, it's, it's like, how long can this last? I mean, like right. I'm kind of hungry most of the time. And mm-hmm. like, I want shit that I'm not letting myself eat. And like, it just backfires. Like, it does. I just feel like for every diet, there's an equal and opposite binge mm-hmm. and like if I just kind of eat what I want when I want, but by the way, like I'm mindful that I'm eating because I'm hungry. Yes. Yeah. You know, and sometimes I'll emotionally eat, mm-hmm. but then in those times like that I'm not, I don't like berate myself for three days and then like just eat more because yes. like, or starve myself for right. three days. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I'm just like basically a normal person, I'm like, yeah, I overate, big deal. Or like, yeah, I'm not hungry. Or like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. I don't want that pasta right now, but I do want that chocolate croissant. You <laughs> right. know what I mean? Yes. Like if I'm just like a normal person, then I just basically like, I'm a normal kind of weight. Yeah. And then I try not to stress. But of course I do sometimes. But that's what I want for my daughter is that she's sort of like that food is not an issue, that it's not something that she spends more time thinking about than she wants to. Right. No, so so that's why, yeah, that's why I I agree that I don't want Albert to spend more time thinking about it than she has to. Yeah. And I want her to, you know, figure out what her relationship is to it now. I don't want to be mediating that relationship yeah. for her. I feel like that's how I feel about a lot of parenting, actually, yeah. is that I think that um, I don't like standing in between her and the world. Yes. I really don't, even though it's, yeah, because I just you want, want to. Of course you I mean, want yeah, to. I mean, yeah, I totally want to. <laughs> yeah. But I really feel like now that my job is just to, like, spectate. Yep. And, and keep you know, her safe. Right, exactly. And totally. And, and just to love. make sure, like, when things you know, go too far that she's there to be yep. rescued. Yep. But other than that, I don't think that it's to mediate between her yep. and the world. Yep. I want her to just I feel the same. This figure is, it out. This is a fairly radical approach to parenting, even though no, like even like though probably is. you and your friends and like my clo- I, no, yeah, my closest but friends like, I feel in like the we feel world, the same. people are like, no, we have kids to teach them how to do right and wrong. Yeah. We have to teach them things. No, I think so. And I think when I go out in the world, I think I there are a lot of interventions. You know, yeah. where I'm like, you really, it's fine. Like, people are always, like, I also, like, made a choice. Like, I don't tell Albertine, um, uh, be careful. Uh-huh. I say, um, uh, like, um, like, wa- I'm like, watch closely. Oh, I like that. Because, yeah. you know, my parents didn't tell me. I have, it's so interesting. I say be mm. careful to August all the time. But the uh-huh. reason that I say that is because yeah. when I was a kid, I had like a few weeks of like intense accidents mm. where like I was falling off shit. Yeah. Like, I mean, I was like little, right? Like the yes. hospital, I mean, I went to the emergency room, I think mm. like one time, three times within like two weeks. And the, like, oh the emergent, like the people at the hospital were like bringing my parents in for accounts. Like they were just like, yes. what's wrong? Right, you right. No, parents child? get so, yeah. yeah, we brought Albertine in once and it's very. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like really intense. Like yeah. what the fuck happened? Right. Um, and at some point my parents went to a therapist and the therapist was like, uh, well, have you ever told her to, 
be careful. Right. And like they had never told me to be careful. <laughs> oh, how funny. So now with August, right. I'm like, I'm right. going to tell her to be careful. Yeah. But I like what you just said. What did you say? Be watchful or watch. Yeah. Just like watch closely. Watch I'm closely. Like, watch closely. I love that. I you love know, that. Just the idea that. Oh, I'm totally going to rephrase that. Yeah. Okay. So no, but, but why? But tell me why. Um, because I felt like I was very, uh, skittish about certain things. You know, I'm claustrophobic now. I have a little bit of, you know, I'm not, I'm not blaming it on parenting or whatever. I'm just saying like thinking about how my, cause I actually don't recall what my parents would say to me, at uh-huh. all. but, um, because I just have so much anxiety, uh-huh. you know, as a person that I'm always trying to negotiate and I really don't want to pass that anxiety onto her. And sometimes I feel like the, sometimes I feel the best way for me not to pass it on is to just be quiet. Yeah. You know, and just smile. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, then just, yeah. you know, so that um, Although, there's no script. Of course, you know, the fucked up thing. I know, of her I hate feeling. To say this. Yeah. Like, like, I know. She's, she's gonna just going to get what you feel. I know. She's, she's just going to look feel. at her friends and be like, could you not just stand there and smile at exactly. me? Exactly. Because I can tell you're freaked out. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, but no, because I want her, I noticed that I think that she's really sure footed and I think that she's you know, really yeah. actually physically adept. Yeah. And I wanted her to feel good about doing things that I hadn't done. And I was like, I don't want to limit her just because it's something I never did. Yeah. And so that's why I just say like, watch closely. I love um, and I watch, and, and she really is very physically brave. Yeah. And so I love August. watching her, yeah. you know, climb up high on things. Yeah. And, um, and now she started jumping and she's really brave with the jumping. Wow. Sometimes I'm just like, Ooh, look oh, look away. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, but I also think like, what's the worst thing, you know, what's the worst thing can happen? Yeah. I'm gonna like, I don't know. I just don't think that I feel like the intervention of saving your kid from breaking the arm that day. I'm, I'm not sure. It will, or in the future, yes, like that I think, make them frankly, right. like either rebellious. Or, that's how I feel about yeah. it. I'm like, I, that's why I want her to. I'm like, figure out what the more important is, now. is the connection. Yeah. I mean, this is like we, Jim and I were very um, intentional about. I really like the Rye method. I don't know if you've heard no. of the Rye method. Uh-uh. Okay, no. Well, that's so that's like one way. Everyone, well, I'll link to it, but like, yeah, the Rye method is great. It's really for babies like zero to two. Uh. And then um, there's a, a there's there's something called nonviolent communication, but uh-huh. the, in Echo Park actually there's a center that has used nonviolent communication as it relates to parenting to oh, have cool. these parenting classes or whatever. So Jim and I took a parenting class, and um, you know they call it nonviolent parenting, which is such a weird thing because mm-hmm. it's not just like don't hit your kid. I mean we're right, assuming yeah. we're not going to hit our kids, but it's like right. much more like how do, how do we deal with them respectfully? Yeah. And one of the things that we loved about it was. Um, this phrase that has come up repeatedly, the cost of compliance is mm. connection. Oh, I compl- that's so amazing. And I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about where it's like. It's so interesting that that's the phrase because what I had just, that's so interesting because in my own experience, I thought I didn't phrase it so well, but I was like, you I was like, you know, you either get respect mm-hmm. or you get love. That's right. And exactly. that was so, that, so that's so interesting. Yeah. That, the cost of compliance is connection. Wow. And, and that's, that's completely it. true. No, yeah. it's completely. And I know that from my but own But by the way, experience. a lot of parents, yeah. I mean, there are a lot of parents in the world that might be listening to this even that or, you know, in the world that are just mm-hmm. like, uh, no, I want respect and compliance. Yeah, that's what right. I want. And so you also have to be sort of like of the mindset that connection and and love are yeah. are 
more valuable to you than compliance and um, respect. But that's like how a lot of people are raised. Like, no, no, you respect your elders. You follow the rules. Yeah. And that's just not, that's not, that's not my value um, as a parent. That's not what I want from my kid. I want someone who's thinking freely, who. Well, I also think too, I do think that in some cases, you know, I do think that it's like, um, like a luxury for us to be able to think that way because I do think that they're totally. also you know and no but because of that like I feel like I want to then because I have the access to it I want to have it and embrace it rather than to me it seems something that like you have the luxury and then to not um, I don't know I think about that all the time you know of like um, do, do you know what I mean I do know like you mean. know I feel like it has you know well, anytime I feel like a person has I don't know this this is I think about this all the time because I and I've never said it out loud, so I'm sure it sounds a lot worse outside the brain than it does inside the head. (laughs) But I think about it a lot that sometimes like when a person has a lot of opportunity, that there is something strange about then um, denying yourself that because you think that it's. I think that it's actually important to then yes. do the thing that you have access to and then do it in a way that you that you feel is empowering to other people and not a way that um, is uh, oppressive to other people. Does that make sense? Rather it than just saying so like, I'm not going to do that because not everybody could do that. I, I think Because something- not everybody gets to do that. And yeah. so I'm like, there was, I don't know, the thing that I think about is that um, this is like a really dumb example and I can't remember the the full outcome of it, but yeah. there was like a situation where I was traveling and I had like, I forget, a business class ticket or something uh-huh. and somebody else didn't have a business class ticket. And 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 like it was time to load, like everyone's getting mm. on the plane and I needed to be on the plane because I needed to like write an email or something or something. Mm. But the person I was traveling with, like technically I guess wasn't supposed to be on the plane at that moment so that person stuck stuck behind in the line but I was like no we're traveling together like I think you can get on the plane which some people might think like I'm an entitled asshole for saying Mm. like that person could cut right you know yeah uh, like because he technically wasn't like supposed to be on the plane insane so but then when we got to the front of the line um it turned out that like he could have because of his group or whatever Mm. he could have already entered anyway oh Yes. Oh, I Do you know I, what I, I mean? What and so yeah. like that was like an example wherein like he was like, no, 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 I'm just going to hang back. Even right. though like had he just like been respectfully like, hey, my friend's traveling. Can yes. I go on the plane with her? Actually, that would have been totally allowed and totally right. fine. And but instead he didn't even want to check because he felt like it's rude to even yes. like go there or something. Right. No, I you know no, I, mean? I totally understand. No, and I think that's why. The, the but also like, like, but I just, I also want to say out loud because I feel like, you know, if I was raising an African-American boy uh-huh. right now or like frankly anybody uh, of a different ethnicity mm-hmm. in our culture and in this climate, I would feel very scared to say like, you don't need to comply. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, there is no. something very scary about like not complying in this uh, climate. I mean, kids are getting shot all the time unfairly by yeah. police officers because of racial no, prejudice. Right. And no, I completely agree. So I think like, there are a lot. No, I think that we are privileged of- for being. I mean, you know what I mean. Like yeah. there is there is something to say to like oh we both have these like cute little white girls right. and so to say to them like you don't have to mm-hmm. you know well and also in part in part the reason why is yeah a well, privilege. Yes, no, it is a privilege. And I also feel that in raising white girls that I feel like 
so I do think that if I had a boy sometimes that, um, that I would be wanting him to follow more rules because I think that sometimes the reason why I want my daughter to not comply is because I'm thinking about her long-term safety as an adult. Mm. And I want her to be in a position where she doesn't see, um, you know, white men as authority right. figures, you know, who, who could dominate over her. And I right. want her to be able to have this internal thing where she could look at somebody and be like, no. Right. Not that you understand what it's so hard I do to talk understand. about this stuff because well, it's, it's not very because subtle you too say, because respect also like a <laughs> lot of people say respect like respect your elders like it's a sort of a respect means compliance yeah. but also there like what I was thinking when you said that is that like if I had a son I would want him any or a daughter everyone I want my kid to respect people right you know what I mean no I know like, like I just, have I a think basic it amount on, of respect no yeah. there's so I think it's really challenging yeah. I do I mean I'm also I feel like it's I just have my daughter so I also don't have to think about the complexities of what it's like to have a daughter and a son at the same time yeah. and feel like you're trying to teach your son to be respectful of when someone says no right you're trying yeah. to raise somebody who listens to other people and understands you know boundaries and stuff yeah. like that and maybe with your daughter you're thinking more about I want her to feel like she can do anything and that people are not the boss of her right, and stuff right, like that. Right. And right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, guess I just have some basic sense of confidence that like when you treat another human being, whether they're your fucking cashier at the superstore, superstore? Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Whether they're your cashier at the grocery store mm -hmm. or your kid. Yeah. From zero to 18 yeah. with a lot of respect and humility and reverence and compassion then yeah. they will be people in the world who themselves have right compassion and reverence and respect and appreciation and you know yeah. what I mean yeah, like yeah, yeah. that like just because they're littler or younger than us to to that we have power over I them, know. I know. you know, and that we should exert some right. kind of control over their lives, other than of course keeping them just physically yeah. safe. Right. I think is bananas, personally. Right? No, I um, agree. But this is a very radical, mm -hmm. radical way of thinking. Okay, so by the way, this is not what we're here to talk about. Although I'm very happy <laughs> to talk about this with you. Um, I. I want to hear, you mentioned your anxiety before we started rolling, and I want to hear about your anxiety. And you mm -hmm. mentioned it already like five minutes ago. Yeah, um, I love talking about it. But before we talk about your anxiety, I have to say, for anyone who may not know, although like I'm going to say it in the preamble to this podcast episode, like you are, I mean, okay, so I just saw you in this play two weeks ago. You're doing, you're in Los Angeles right now yeah. doing what the Constitution, Constitution means to me. Right. Okay. That um, Heidi Schreck wrote. Yes, Heidi Schreck wrote it and performed it in New York. I did yes. not see it in New York. I only have now seen it with you. Yeah. Um, and you were obviously like, it goes without saying, but you're like phenomenal. Like you're just oh. like, it's just <laughs> like, I can't get enough of watching you on stage. It's phenomenal. And, but like, what you did is something that 99.9% .9 of human beings on this earth could not even fathom doing. You spoke to a room of how many people are, are at the tape or 500? Uh, I think no, it's like a thousand. Six, no, no, no. It's not a thousand. I think it's like 699. Some okay, weird so like 699 like complete strangers right. are sitting in a theater Minus every night. Cat, who I know. Minus, yeah, like one other person who you know. Minus me. Right. Okay, right. Or like whoever you might know that night. Um, and you are charged with 
speaking by yourself essentially there's like one other person on stage with you right barely who barely talks like you speak basically for like an hour and 50 minutes and you don't just like you're not off the cuff you're like speaking lines that like you've learned yes like anything could happen like you could forget those lines right no Uh, i I mean you know what i mean like they it's somebody could say something from the audience and yet here you are giving this completely open genuine I mean you're feeling things like major feelings are happening and like things are happening in a way that feels surprising and fresh even Mm -hmm. though you've done it I don't know how many times now 30 40 50 yeah right that we're getting into there yeah Yeah. I think like in the 40s right and this is uh, you're no stranger to this I mean you've been on Broadway and like you've done but like the fact that you experience anxiety in your Mm -hmm. life is very fascinating to me because only a person who knows how to navigate anxiety could do what you do night after night yeah I mean right no I do think so like I I think I had this conversation with a director once and I was you know um he was saying are you you know you I don't know what you mean saying that you're like anxious about I was like I I was like I think most actors are yeah he was like really and I was like yes that's the, those are the people who go to it. The people who pursue acting are the people who are like, I don't understand this talking in front of people Yeah, thing. And right. I mean, well, I think not m- necessarily. Right. No, not like, always. No, not always. Like, by the way, almost probably never because right. I mean, most people are like, I'm scared of speak. I, like a lot of people have stage fright. Yeah. Oh, or, right. Or just even though have, have just like basic anxiety about meetings. And I mean, it's totally right. normal to have anxiety. And I'm yes. saying like we all have well, anxiety. I guess, I guess what I mean is that I and maybe you disagree with me but I think that a lot of people who are actors like find the that find something about like communication flawed mm-hmm. or uh confusing mm-hmm. when they're uh very young and then are interested in it you know and are interested in the way in which like you know what I mean even if it takes a while to figure that out or like somehow like how the communication off because usually you experience it through being on stage first when you're young mm-hmm. and how like the communication off stage can be so muddled and mm. and everything and then you get on stage and there's such clarity yeah and i think and that i think that what people fall in love with the clarity and like yeah. fall in love with the the unity of things that you can be you know like i wanted to say this and i did it and i said it and they heard it and they laughed Right. You know, and like all of that where uh, and when you're off stage, that stuff can seem so iffy or dangerous, yeah. you know, maybe. Yeah. And to me, that's so often people who go into acting or people. Who, yeah, like you you can almost yeah. be more yourself. Right. When you're in these really yeah. crazy circumstances than right. you can in life. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't know. I, mean, I like that idea. Different. I like that yeah. idea. But I guess what I'm curious about, and like this can lead us down a whole road of conversation about anxiety in your life and stuff, but what I'm curious about is how you set the circumstances to be able to do. And I mean, I guess it's hard for you because to you, this is your job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just your job right. to like get up on stage and talk to 700 people, you know, night after night with lots of words. Yeah. At some point you had to learn all of those words yeah. and, you know, like get and get over that opening night anxiety and the dress rehearsals and whatever stages you've had to go along the way like at this point you know and now also you've been in so many plays and done so many things and you know like you're used to this but I just Mm. I wonder like if we could like just have this conversation where you can really distill your process and your thinkings about 
essentially how you do what you do. Yeah. Which is frankly, and you know, I relate to it because it's like I'm an actor. Yeah. But still, even as your fellow actor, like it's fucking magical. And we're so lucky that we get to do this. But it is magic. It's magic yeah. watching you on the stage or watching any amazing performer do what yeah. they do. It's magic. Well, it is. And sometimes I wonder that, you know, that I feel like a big secret about it is the audience doesn't know how involved they are in it. Uh-huh. A lot of the time. And I have that experience, too, as an audience member. Like when I sit in a play, I have to remind myself that I'm like, if I clear my voice, like that actor can yeah. hear me. Because it doesn't look because the actor's not going to respond to it. And so there's no um, like validation of that. There's no feedback loop yeah, that if yeah. you cough that someone like you know, the actor's not like, are you OK? Yeah. <laughs> so there's no feedback loop. So it's so easy to forget that you can. And um but the audience really is a huge part of the show every night. Like they really, really are. Yeah, but that's like the generous and, answer. But but I have to say, okay, well maybe I think that maybe that's how like I started to be able to do it uh-huh. is to become more um, uh, to allow for that more uh-huh. and to become. I, so I think that when I was younger, I think that a huge thing of my anxiety as an actor was I felt that I had to generate everything Mm. and if I didn't generate it then it wasn't mine and I wasn't really an artist Mm. so it would be like it would happen to me in rehearsal sometimes like where a director would say something to you that's particularly you know thoughtful Mm -hmm. or like strikes you in an interesting a lot of times I feel like the things that I find inspiring in an actor are things that surprise me Mm -hmm. you know so if someone gives you an unexpected note or criticism and then the way that the unexpectedness you weren't bracing yourself for it so it can enter into your psyche in some way and do something yeah you know and so when someone did that rather than feeling grateful that I was working with someone who could do that I would be like oh shit like I the only reason why I was able to do that is because they said that thing and that made me do it and I was always constantly I was so um I don't know what the word, if the right word is like parochial or something. Like I was so, I had such rules about like what was mine and what was someone else's. Uh, uh And I was constantly felt like my performance wasn't done until I could figure out how to generate every single thing by myself, which is totally impossible Mm. and not true. Yeah. And I felt that like as I got older and I I thought what my trajectory was going to be is I thought that like, oh, as I get older, I'll have more mastery and I'll be able to generate more things on my own and that will make me a better actor. Mm. And I very surprisingly ended up going in a different direction. And that might just be maybe everyone is different and maybe this was just for me. This was the path, the only path that was available to me. Uh But for me, it was being like, no, that actually it's never only going to be mine that nobody makes anything by themselves. Nobody does anything. No one does anything in the world by themselves. Yeah. And that I will always make a show with the audience. And I'm always going to be, if I hear someone who makes a acknowledging sound, you know, that that supports me and that I can respond to it. And that's like a beautiful gift that they gave me and it's allowing me to, discover more about the text that I haven't or just learn more about myself or something and what and then I feel like the thing that was challenging like as I got older was then interpreting like um sounds that I perceived as being uh um you know, uh, disapproving and like what was I going to do with those like hearing people yawn I hear people yawn all the time I hear yeah. people yawn when I do the show or you see people sleeping yes probably. oh yeah. my god one woman was sleeping so extravagantly in the front row and I was like you know what you paid for that seat I was like you do what you need to do yeah. I was like 
Yeah. <laughs> just make yourself comfortable. Yeah. You know, because I think that what would happen sometimes is, you know, if like, of course, I would have a good show when I perceived the audience to be supportive. And then I was, you know, I, when I perceived the audience to be um, disapproving, then I would have a challenging show. Mm. And that was also so then that was something I had to work on and realize that it really was my perception that it really wasn't just because someone yawns does not mean that they're not enjoying themselves. And I think particularly with this show, when I hear people cough, I actually, and I don't know if it's true, but what I realize is it doesn't matter if those things are true. It's my perception of the thing is what mm -hmm. matters and my experience as, you know, a performer mm -hmm. is that I, that the people who are coughing are the people who are actually the most affected by it and mm -hmm. they can't, like they're trying to like somehow escape their discomfort. Yeah. And like, yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. And trying to escape the discomfort. And so I imagine that when I hear people cough, I'm just like, I try to be very like loving towards it and being like, it's okay. If you're not ready to hear it right now, you don't have to, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I'm going to try to say it in a way that maybe you can hear it or yeah. something, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like that was how I dealt with my, and definitely how I dealt with my anxiety towards talking. Mm-hmm. You know, to everyone that I actually, I like to see people and I like to, you know, uh, yeah, and just feel like we're all having a conversation yeah. together and to allow it to so how affect do you, me and stuff. You know, the same way that you want, like, you know, and, and I guess I just, that things don't happen always the way I think that they would. Like I had a one really great experience where someone... Um, that I was, you know, excited to come see the show. I came to see the show and I could see them. And in my head, they were like beaming me love. But I, when I glimpsed glimpse to look at them, um, they were like kind of putting their hair behind their ear and like not looking at the stage. And mm. at first I was like, <gasps> I was like, oh no. Yeah. I thought this was all going so well. And, I was like, and then it just, I don't, I just decided to like, uh, um, I was like, I'm not going to let that person's, like turning away, like uh, break my relationship with myself. But by the way, you know, can and I just so that was just a surprise. Like I didn't know I was going to have that feeling. Do yeah, you know what but I mean? can I also say though too that, um, yeah, I don't mean to diminish that. I think that's beautiful that mm. you were able to. But this is what I was mm. about to say, which I think is like you're having all of these um, thoughts mm. while you're also speaking. Right. And like acting. Yeah. Like all of the, all of these, like all of this internal dialogue, all yeah. of this is happening in these like, you know, very f fast sort of imaginings while you're carrying this show. Mm -hmm. Right. I know. Um, and that's an incredible thing about your consciousness that you're able to hold mm -hmm. yourself, the play, mm -hmm. the audience, all in one uh moment yeah i i mean i i th i think that um we always do that like i think that that's i mean that's just in my own like exploration or like as an actor but i've seen like i started to teach a little bit and so i would see it like in other people and stuff like that that i think that that's a lot of the time how where we are as actors is that we're doing the play we're also very aware of our environment and we're also like especially like uniquely connected to our inner thoughts at the same time. Yeah. And I think that, um, that sometimes all those other things, those other awareness awarenesses feel like an impediment at first mm -hmm. that it's like, Oh, I just, you know, like the scene goes so well when I'm at home by myself right. in my bedroom, you right. know? And then when I come here and I do it in class, it's, you know, it's a mess. And I feel that like instead 
that those things, if we just, if we change the paradigm and those things aren't an impediment, that mm -hmm. those are really all the things that help you do the thing. And so like yeah. when you're looking out and you see someone scowling at you, I don't know. I mean, I have, I've, I have like read a lot of stuff about how brains work and stuff like that. And I want to hear about this because I, and, and I know, and then you know this, but like, um, you know, this podcast, even though I like, all I want to do is geek out about acting all day long. Yeah. This is not really a podcast about acting. Like, right, this right, right. This is a podcast. Yeah. I want people, my fantasy is that actors, of course, are going to love to listen to this, but that pe yeah. everyone, people mm -hmm. in the world are like wanting to hear, um, about this stuff and what you just said um the oh man I about brain I should no mm -hmm. yeah I want to know about the brain stuff but you just said um the thing the thing is is also the oh right the yeah. thing isn't going to stop the thing the thing is part of the thing right yes exactly it's not an impediment to your right, acting right it's the, the thing, thing isn't an, it's the thing isn't an impediment like to looking the thing. Out, it is right. the thing looking yeah. out in the audience and seeing someone scowl at you I mean I did have a friend who's an actor um, who said to me why I, he was like, oh, my ex-girlfriend's here tonight. And I was like, is that going to be hard? He's like, well, it's why we do it, isn't it? And yeah. I was like, you are so funny. I was like, it is why we do it. Yeah. So that the ex could come and you can <laughs> yeah, yeah, get to have all those roiling, crazy yeah. feelings and then make something out of yes, them. Yes, yes. I and do so, think, you know. But that, like yeah. some people might hear this and be like, wait a minute, I could never blah, blah, blah and with my ex in the room. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so how do you, can you fucking talk about that like can you it's hard because you're Funny. a master of this craft right but like how do you how do we go th how do we do stuff when there's scary circumstances that arise yeah well I think that it I mean I do think that it's the um you know we've all learned so much from Brene Brown yeah <laughs> right yeah. and I do think you know what she says so succinctly you know is that you can't you can't stop yourself from having bad feelings and think you're just gonna have the good ones you know if you stop yourself from having bad feelings you're just gonna numb yourself you know which is what our culture does a lot you yeah know, when you have bad feelings and so that I think instead is that if you open yourself up to the bad feelings of like the feeling of like oh this is horrible my ex is here and it's so stressful rather than trying to run away from the stress and the shame of it to just embrace it and because when you do and when you let yourself live in that which means like what letting your palms get sweaty and letting your voice be maybe feel unsure that there's something on the other side of it that there's actually you know I mean I've one of the reasons why I like acting so much is because I feel like it's I've learned to like myself better through acting I, I always think that if I didn't about... act I think I would still be I mean I still struggle with it obviously a lot but I like acting because I think for two hours I'm a lot nicer to myself than mm -hmm. I am during the rest of the day and hopefully like it seeps into more but where I feel like I'm like whatever I notice that if I let myself have whatever feeling I'm having even if I feel that it's wrong or not helpful that I always get rewarded. Mm. And by rewarded, I mean when when I have the moment of acceptance, I feel like a wash of love and that I can do anything, mm. you know? And so like if I'm doing the play and I'm – and I've had the experience like, you know, if I'm getting frustrated with myself or I'm like, ah, oh, it's not going as well as it can. And instead of avoiding the frustration, if I let myself be frustrated, mm -hmm. then it's like there's a unity that comes – yeah, uh, you know, there's a feeling of like, ah. Integration. I, yes, integration is a much better word. I was like, I don't like that word, Uni. Yeah, integration well, but is a much better thing. But yeah, yeah, but integration just integer. It just feels like there's many allowed in it. 
<laughs> integrated feels like it allows for many and unity seems like it's trying to squish everything into one thing <laughs> yeah integrated is a better word it's different but but yeah. i um i guess like what i'm curious is in your life are you able to give yourself that like I think what what's so what what actors are lucky about is we get like confined mm. space in which to live. Yeah. You right, know, totally. like we get like two hours to like be a human. Right. That's so true. You That's know? very true. And it's like yeah. very safe to be a human. And like you get paid for it. Right. And you've practiced it. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? No, exactly. Like there's That's something so like true. you get to like examine humanhood and spontaneity and yes. like going with your gut and like thinking about your feelings and doing something else and yeah. integrating. You get this confined amount of space to like practice being mm. a human human but like then in life mm. can you give yourself those same permissions and circumstances can you like when you're struggling in your life yeah when you're when something when someone's at somewhere that you wish they weren't at or right. something happens that kind of like throws you off mm. can you exercise that same acceptance muscle I think it's harder. I think it's definitely harder. But I think maybe because of some of the experiences I have that like I'll try that, you know, I, I can I know that hmm, I, I trust that maybe like if I can get there that it will help, mm -hmm. you know, more than maybe I had in the past. I think mm -hmm. when I was younger and before I'd had those experiences on stage, I really didn't think that. Um, by accepting something or allowing someone else, you know, I was always flying into a rage and stuff like mm. that. You know, I was always correcting. I always really wanted to correct other people's mm. behavior, you know. And um, I think that, yeah, now being older and seeing that, like, that the acceptance can be really helpful and can help you. It's, it's not... Um, that accepting something is not like relinquishing mm -hmm. your effect on it, you know, mm -hmm. or your relationship to it. It's kind of just allowing for it to, I think you're just giving something space so it could move and actually can move to the next thing. And when you hold, like giving you're holding a feeling it there, space so yes, that it can move. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. I think maybe all those other things that we think that we're doing to like stop stuff, we're actually holding it there for a lot longer. Mm, that's like you really know? beautifully put. Yeah. Like so, it, but it is super hard. It's really, really well, So tell me about anxiety. Tell do. me about your journey with that. Um, well, I definitely started, I, I started having, um, I had normal anxiety, I think, when I was a kid, just like, you know, what you're supposed to have up and down. And, uh, you know, I had asthma, so it was a little bit, like, more accelerated because you're taking medicines that, like, increase your heart rate and stuff like uh, that. So it was a little elevated. I spent a lot of time thinking about it because I was yeah, like, where I hear is this from? Uh -huh. I do think that the having asthma kind of – And how does it manifest, like, in my how, anxiety? Yeah, yeah. My – when I have – I hear the uh, – we both have a friend, Mike Esper. Yeah. Right? And one of my favorite things that he said was, you know, when people imitate anxiety, like, on screen or on stage, it's always, like, very fast. And he was like, real anxiety looks like this. Yeah. Which is just total stillness. Yeah. You know, and so that's how, and that's how I experience When I have profound anxiety, yeah. it's, um, you know, uh, oh, right, that, yeah, because right, you know, there's the fight or flight, but then that, you know, that there's another one, um, darn it, there's fight or flight response, but there's also faint. Oh, fuck. Yes. I don't know about it, but yeah. Fle yeah. Oh, oh, fight or flight, flee or faint. Oh, whoa right so those are the two and i was like oh i'm flee or faint 
Wow. <laughs> you yeah. know, and then they kind of have that like. Where, I get where you is like paralysis. Yes, totally. Yeah. You know, like a, my my dad found a baby uh, bunny in our backyard once, and it just turned t- tried to roll up into a little ball mm. like a pebble, and I was like, right, That's identify, I the yeah, baby bunny. yeah. Um, so yeah, I would totally just have paralysis, just completely, you know just eyes wide and your heart beating really fast and then unable to move. Yeah. And that's how like my stage fright would, I would have it in life. You know, I would have when, you know, when I thought that I really had anxiety, like I really had that thing where like if I had, I read much later in life and I was like, oh, I didn't know that was an anxiety response. Like if people were laughing in a room, I thought they were laughing about me. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. when people would say something, I would always interpret, I would often interpret, like if it was a joke, I would, I wouldn't understand the humor of it. Mm. I was like, why would you say that? Mm. You know, it would, Mm -hmm. and it would just become like a wash. I remember one time, you know, two other people that, you know, we were in a play together and they were laughing and they were all making jokes and it was so nice, but I really felt like it was at my expense, mm. you know, and I just clammed up and just started sweating and, wow, yeah, you know, so it happened and I, it, so it really started when I left home. Yeah. And, and was I there th- a particular I was embarrassed trigger? about that for a long time. No, I think that it was, I was just a, being with, no, I think I like being with my family. I think uh, that I like being with my oh, I see mommy and my daddy. You were embarrassed that, yeah. I was embarrassed that that happened because it didn't seem, you know, I it was, I I was embarrassed. I feel like when I was like, I think that's what happened. Yeah, is yeah. that I felt really strong when I was with my parents, mm. you know, and I felt like that I could experience anxiety and stuff, and that I really hadn't learned to metabolize all that stuff by all that all those complicated feelings. I hadn't learned to metabolize them on my own. Mm. I learned to metabolize through my parents. Mm. So by going and telling my mom, someone said this to me and it didn't make me feel good. And then her kind of, you know, and like we would do it. Mm. And then after that conversation, feeling better on the other side, mm-hmm. you know, so I was embarrassed because I was like, I was a baby. I'm a baby, mm. you know, a little fucking baby. Right. Like, you, <laughs> you like know, you can't. Then you have shame. Yeah. And then you have shame it. about So it really wasn't until I'm much older that I was able, yeah, I was like, yeah. And then when I was taken out of that very supportive, um, validating environment, I was anxious. I got totally anxious. I felt like, and you so, know. and so, and then I couldn't, because I couldn't figure out what it was. I refused to, I mean, I, I certainly, I didn't have a therapist who said that to me. I mm-hmm. didn't have a therapist who was like, do you think that this anxiety is because mm-hmm. you are no longer like in a support system? No one ever said that to me. And I wasn't having, I don't think I was allowing myself to have that kind when of thought on my own. When did you start therapy? Um, I remember I tried to start it in grad school and the guy told me he thought I was fine. And so I wow. uh, gave him the finger and then left. <laughs> <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and then another time, I mean, I have to say, you know, then another time I went to ther- that was in grad school, and another time I went because I was really struggling in grad school. Yeah, because it was the combination of being away from home and now thinking like, I think I'm going to be able to make money acting, mm-hmm. and it was really really stressing me out. Wait, and- that you think you can make money acting, or that right? You- yeah. Yes. Oh, like how are you going to make? Yeah. Money how am I going? And I'm yeah. like, this is my plan. I was like, right. this is what I've done. Yeah. This is. <laughs> I know. I have so many opportunities available to myself, and this is what I chose. Yeah. You know, yeah. that just seemed ludicrous. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I was so terrified about it. And it wasn't, and so my anxiety was just all over the place. I mean, yeah. it was in my relationships. It was in my work. I mean, I didn't sleep. I mean, it was really thorough. It wasn't just like I had, uh-huh. you know, anxiety about school and stuff like that. Um, 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I would drink a lot and pass out in front of the heater because mm. I would come home and it was so cold at night in San Diego. And so I would roll up in a ball in front of the heater and that's where my roommate would find me in the morning. And wow. One. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I kind of want to tell so you then something w- horrible. Tell me. Tell me. I'll tell please. you the horrible thing. Yeah. Tell so me. one time I had my period. Uh-huh. I passed out. I took out my tampon, put it on the ground in front of me and then went back to sleep. And that was when my roommate was like, I think we have to talk. Wow. She was like, and she was a really beautiful, kind, awesome person. And she was the first person who ever said to me, like, she was like, I think that you really have a problem and you're really struggling. Like, you know, she wasn't like, wow. you're disgusting and I can't do this yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a really beautiful person. So what did that do for you? What- it was it was wonderful. It really made me, you know, try to seek someone out. And I just... You know, it's funny. So many great things have happened in the past 10 years. You know, that was 20 years ago. And I just feel like, you know, even within the like mental health community, people just had different ideas about what uh, a mental health problem looked like, Mm. you know, and people just didn't think I was. So do you have like diagnosed anxiety disorder? Uh Yeah. And now I take really great medicine for it and I love it. Oh my God, that's so great. What a relief. You know, so, but it was hard, you you know, people would look at me and I was doing fine, you know, and no one would. So then the other thing, I went to this other therapist and he ended up asking me on a date. Called me up later and asked me out. No, what? (laughs) I know. What? No. I know. He could get like fired from therapists. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. You could be fired from therapists. (laughs) That's what I should have said. (laughs) Click. (laughs) Oh no. Okay. So you had some shitty therapists, but then obviously you found someone great. No, it took me oh. so long. No, it took me a really, really long time. Then I, you know, after, oh no, I did. So I had a full on breakdown when I left grad school and I got my first job working in Santa Cruz. I refused to sign my um, contract because I didn't think that I was doing good enough work to be paid. Wow. I mean, I was really, I was woo so what in happened? the So then what happened? So how and did that they were look, like, by the way? So I ended up... Um, there was still like a lot of like alcohol involved mm. in order to, mm-hmm. you know. Do you not? Are you sober now? Um, ish. Okay. Yeah, ish. So I a lot like... of people would say that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> a I lot, know. I people sound... who really care about their sobriety. That's so funny. Like, no, you're I know. Not I always sober. think right. You sound like. I sound makes me sound more if I have a problem. If I'm like I'm kind of sober. No, I'm sober do, enough. Do you drink? Do you drink? I drink sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. I drink sometimes. It's not like a daily thing for you. It's like no. Okay. No, no, no. Okay. I, no. But I can't say that I'm sober. Yeah, you drink sometimes. Yeah. yeah, because I drink sometimes. But I certainly don't, I don't drink the way I used to. And I'm yeah. very aware of like, I uh, I don't use it. Right, 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 right. You know, if I'm uncomfortable, I leave rather than being like, you know what I need? Another drink. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but I think that, you know, I toast uh-huh. Like, you know, every once in a while have a sure, cup. but I do yeah, anyway. The more yeah. I talk about it, the more it sounds like I have a really no deep problem. I don't perceive that <laughs> at all, okay. No. Um, because I'm sure you're just if not, anyone drink, wants to tell me they think I have a problem, it's fine. I'm open to it. Yeah, no, I'm not drink, a big drinker, yeah. no. And I used to use it, yeah. I used to use, use it, it and I used to consciously use it. And yeah. I was like, you know, it wasn't, I didn't accidentally, I would like. I had like a whole thing where I was like, I start out with this drink in order to lay a good base right, and then I have right. these and then it helps. And by the time I get here. Yeah. And you're not that you know, kind of drinker anymore. Then, no. And I don't, yeah, I'm not, not doing that anymore. Right. But I was definitely doing it then. And I called up my parents mm-hmm. and I screamed at them. Mm-hmm. I screamed. And I, when I screamed at my mom, I told her it was all her fault, that I was an actor and that I wanted to be an actor. 
Mm-hmm. And then my dad got on the phone and he said, Marie, I think that you are, um, I think that you're in a lot of trouble right now. And I think that you need to see a psychiatrist. And um, I was just able to hear him because he said it in a very loving way. You know, he wasn't like, mm-hmm. you can't talk to your mother like that. You're yeah, insane. Right. You know, he was like, I think that you're in a really hard spot. And he was like, you need to see. And he was he was adamant about it. He was like, not a therapist, a psychiatrist. Wow. He was like, you need some, med- some medicine. He's wow. like, you don't need to go sit in a room and talk to somebody. And so I went. I found what he said. And he was, he was great about it. You know, mm-hmm. my dad's really, you know. He was so good about it. Yeah. He it, really was because he said he wasn't like, I'm going to find it for you. Or I'm gonna, he was like, he was like, you go look. Yeah. He said, you go look and you find someone that you think that you like and works for you. And he was, you know, he was a really good parent in that way about not being like, you know, he wouldn't be like, okay, you, ha- you know, this independence that you have been given is being revoked. You have yeah. shown that you can't deal with it. So now I'm taking charge. You know, instead, he was like, you find someone, you know, he wasn't like, I'm going to find someone, I'm flying out there. You know, he was like, you find someone. He was like, I trust you. Yeah. You know, find someone who you like and who you, who you trust. And um, so, and uh, so you found I someone. did, and I found this woman, and I was really lucky, and she was great. And, and is she still your psychiatrist? No, because I was in Santa Cruz. I used to, I used to, oh, it was yeah. a great ritual. I would drive past the um because they grew avocados in santa cruz and uh-huh. i would drive drive past all the um oh no it wasn't avocado, it's artichokes because they're uh. so beautiful and weird mm-hmm. and so i would drive past these artichoke farms on the way to her you know to her office mm-hmm. and i just liked that and she was a wonderful person and i remember i talked to her about how i was feeling and she was like all right i can think of two medicines that you could be on and i was like what are they she said prozac or Celexa. And I said, uh, you know, I was like, well, can you tell me about them? She said, well, Prozac is Prozac. It's pretty much like mm-hmm. what you've heard. Uh-huh. And she said, and Selexa is for people who don't want to say they're on Prozac. And I was like, then the Selexa is for me. Oh, wow. <laughs> Love it was, yeah. Uh-huh. And she was like, all right. And, and are you so, still on Selexa or no? You're on No, I was on it. I mean, I have to say, I mean, that was, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much 20 years ago. Or no, two that yeah, I'm like. So you've probably gone on different 19. a lot of. There's been a lot of different iterations. No, of this. I was no because then something happened after that. Oh, I know the Tell whole me. thing. No, right? I need to know. So I so I was on the sex and the sex was very helpful to get me through the rest of that. Um, and uh, and she was and she's also she was a really great doctor because one of my favorite things she ran out on her driveway one time after like I was pulling out and she was like wait wait waving her arms and she said no more sugar. And no one was talking about that in 2001, wow. about the way that sugar affects you. Yeah. And I was like, rolled down my window. And I was like, what? And she was like, more protein. You need protein. And I was like, okay. And it was just nice because she planted the seed. And mm-hmm. I didn't follow her right away. But it is something that was always in the back of my head and started to like affect some choices that mm-hmm. I made. And then I did start to do research on my own. And then finally, you know, and now I, you know, we were talking, we started out talking about food. And that is something that I'm cautious about just for myself. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Because of how it impacts your feet, your like feeling. Yeah, right. Yeah. That the sugar, that I eat too much sugar and that it yeah. just actually ends up feeding my depression. And it's better for me when I'm hungry to, you know, have some yeah. cured meat. Okay, so but then, any, so, so yeah, so I was happened? on this Alexa and then I went back to New York and um, this Alexa wasn't working for me anymore. It just was kind of, I was very, very depressed oh. in New York, not having a job. You know what it's like yeah, moving yeah. to New York. 
and I decided to go off it. I think this happens to a lot of people. You know, you're like, it's not working, and I went off it. Yeah. And uh, then I started seeing a Freudian therapist. Mm -hmm. And so then I was pretty, I didn't take any more medication for anxiety between 2002 and now. Oh, so you're not medicated right now? No, now I am. No, oh, I'm saying between, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, okay. I've been because on Because Freudian six therapy months. is really powerful shit. Yeah. It's I, sort of everything, right? I mean, I'm a real for, fan. You are. See, for me, it's, it's interesting. See, I Freudian think. Freudian and, and Jungian, psychoanalysis. Right. But I, what I think is, so, that's why I think it's so great that there are so many different disciplines because I think that there are all different kinds of minds and mm -hmm. all different kinds of things. And for me, it was not good. Oh, interesting. For me, the last thing that I need is to keep talking about the past and deepening right. the grooves. Well, that's why you To get... make it easier and easier to slide yeah. between the thing. I hear you. That's... And so for me, behavioral yeah. therapy... Has been amazing. Like someone just being like, think about it for a minute. And then when the minute when the clock clicks, yeah. don't think about it anymore. And, you know, for me to have that kind of mm -hmm. behavioral stuff... Mm -hmm was was but started I, to crack I open to the say, door though, yeah like that's coming from having had enough freudian therapy yeah dude, like, i don't I know that you three, can go i went three days a week yeah to the freudian so, therapy yeah and i'm not saying you need like heavy <laughs> psychoanalysis where you're lying on a couch like three yeah. days a week mm -hmm. but like to, to first talk about your family mm. and in your childhood and mm -hmm. like to go th to get a, a solid foundation. It's like oh, if sure. you're gonna study right. dance, like great idea to start with ballet. Right. Do you know? yeah, like yeah, even yeah. if you end up in modern, mm -hmm. ballet is like where the foundation is. Yeah. And I feel like that about Freudian psychology. You right. know, no, like that's it's the classic version and 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 we have to know about our childhoods. Mm -hmm. Like I think. But then, mm -hmm. yeah, sure. Like maybe right now, present day, having done all of that research. Yeah having lived through all of that therapy, maybe yeah. behavioral is where you land because mm -hmm. you're sort of frankly a master now, you know, and now you can kind of cherry pick and decide mm -hmm. what therapies work for you and your current situation. And maybe one day you'll go back to psychoanalysis. Right. Maybe, you know? Yeah. But no, like, I, I hadn't thought I about it that way. I do feel like starting there is really important. Like it, I think that for people who've never done therapy, I mean, look, what, am, what do I know? This is just mm -hmm. my own personal opinion on mm. like, I feel like I guess everyone knows that I'm just an actor right but <laughs> I do feel like um you know if you've never done therapy before mm -hmm. people go into CBT cognitive behavioral therapy and they're like um like I just want essentially like a quick fix like oh, I just right. want to feel better right now yeah. and I don't actually think you maybe you can feel better for a second but if you really want lasting change you have yeah. to go back into your childhood like right. you have to see like where that stuff kind of originated yeah. a little bit right no yeah i have i have to say i haven't pieced that together for myself like how the different things yeah. like built on each other so, but now because i CBT. always perceived myself to, no now i'm not doing oh, you're that not, anymore you're not doing any therapy no amazing well because I did, i've done i mean i've done lots so and much lots. i mean yeah, i did yeah. three times a week the freudian then i did the cognitive behavioral therapy then i did uh, biofeedback whoa i did neurofeedback now is this like emdr I don't know what EMDR is. is where, did you have paddles and the vibration? And no, that stuff? no. No. I was doing the biofeedback because I was sitting. I had a thing around my uh, waist. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I guess it was my heart rate. And then I had a thing on my finger, to, which is I think is also checking my heart rate and also maybe if I'm sweating or not. Oh. And then you look at a picture of uh, outside, uh -huh. you know, uh -huh. like, like a picture of a mountain. And breathe. Can you slow your heart for twenty minutes and slow, yeah. slow my heart rate down. Wow. And so I did that for about a year. How was that? I really liked it a lot. Yeah. But I have to say that it was in. But this is. I work, just have to stop in, yeah. again. This is amazing that you did that stuff because 
you get you're in like the craziest circumstances on a nightly basis that most people would f- lose their fucking mind. You are in high pressured, high stake circumstances right. night after night. This is your job. Yeah. And you still for life mm-hmm. you wanted the therapy. Well, I mean, did yeah. they help each other out? They oh, must no, have. no, no, they did. The reason why I think I was I started pursuing it so much is because it was really getting in the way of my work. Your anxiety was. No, yeah, yeah. because I was having huge I mean, I was just having huge panic attacks and stuff like before that. Before shows and, or like yeah. all day or Yes, I would have them before shows and then it would get really bad like where I would do the show and then afterwards I was still in a state of panic mm. and I was like, "Oh, it used to be over at least mm. when the show was over." And then it was still you know, panic, and then um, it was just really getting out of hand. So that's why I was trying to find so all that t- stuff. Tell me about this new thing that you're on that you said yeah. you wanted to talk Pristique. about. Pristique. Pristique. Yeah. So and it, so the thing was is that I was trying to do it because I did. I guess the reason why I like talking about it because I did have. I fell into that thing where I felt like there was. I had like a stigma about taking medication. Mm. You know, that was mm-hmm. my own thing. I didn't feel that way about anybody else when they told me they were on medication. I was like, great. I just felt very much like not for me, Uh you know, because of Celexa. Uh And so I was really trying to find all these other ways to do it. You know, I started chanting and meditating and stuff like that. And um, just none of it was, you know, it would make me feel good for the time, but nothing was giving me enough of a solid ground to jump off of. Yeah. And I just thought I was like, you know, it felt more like I just have for it to really impact me. I felt like. I would just need to give up totally and like move to a monastery. Right. And like that would be the only way that this stuff is really going to give me a strong foundation. I can't just do it for 20, you know, the benefits I'm getting for 20 minutes are not the extent to which I need. Yeah. And um, I, uh, and the thing that made me go is that I had a job that was actually outwardly like very nice that I was like excited about and working with people that I was excited to work with and I was miserable Mm. and it was and it was actually that job that helped me realize that I needed to do something more because Mm. I was like because so many circumstances were so nice what did your misery look like like was it anxiety yeah like when I got to it was two things it was anxiety and paranoia you know so when I was in the um was that called the you know in the trailer? Or whatever. Yeah, the Kara makeup trailer. I was, uh, but by myself when I was in my oh, little, in your own little my, trailer, my own little uh-huh. cubby. Um, I was just like uncontrollably crying, mm. you know, and because then the, you were scared. What were the thoughts that were happening? Like you're not good enough. Like you're not good. It's not good. Yeah, and and, and also, and it would be just like a dread. Like it wasn't even I'm not good. I'm like I don't want to do it. Mm. That was the main clear thought. I was like I don't want to do it. You're like scared. I'm here and I don't want to say these lines. I don't want to. I have no interest. I was sapped of any interest. And I had auditioned for the part. And what's weird is that I started to have, I think it's because I've started to, I had, you know, I've been in New York for a while and I know people, I feel comfortable in their rooms. And so a lot of the early anxiety I had auditioning had dissipated. Yeah. But it was, it was too much for me to go on a set and meet all these new people and yeah. all this new stuff and be someplace I've never, I couldn't do it. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, I would cry uncontrollably. I had no desire suddenly to like embody this person. I just wanted to be quiet and be myself. And then I'd have like paranoia where I was like, they're talking about me. They hate me. They're going to fire me. Yeah. You know, and not like, you know, sometimes we say that stuff jokingly, but I really was like, I was like, what are they talking about? Yeah. And I mean, it was like madness, you know, and it was because 
it was the circumstance, the rest of the circumstances of that job were so nice. They were really allowed me to see that my thoughts were the culprit. Yeah. Because I was like, these are all people that I have enjoyed their work for a long time and Mm -hmm. they're nice people and I see them interacting and they're, I could, you know what I mean? I I was like, it's not a toxic environment. And I was like, and I'm still acting like this. I was like, so it must be me. Yeah. And (laughs) And so, so, which was great, which was wonderful. I was really grateful, you know, for that. And then I went and I went to the doctor and I have to say that, you know, I couldn't believe the strides that had been made since the last time I was on medicine you know yeah. there's not just ssris now it's snris which is what i'm on which is stands for what um serotonin neuro neuro Something. neuroepinephrine oh. Ser- serotonin neuroepinephrine reuptake inhibitor whoa nice that's what it is so it means so it's both those things so not just the serotonin but the neuroepinephrine which is another thing that makes and so what is it so did you and did you feel an immediate difference uh-huh yeah, after a like getting on it was really hard and I felt like my depression increased in mm. the week that I was getting used to it, but I had also found that was something, you know, that I think that it's really important. I think that also took me like I to to really like find somebody who you feel comfortable with and it's okay if you go to a doctor and you don't like them, but doesn't mean that they're all like that, you know, yeah. that cuz this is it took me a long time like I find this doctor I really really like her and I have a therapist that I really really like. Yeah. And I don't talk to the therapist a lot but she's always available to me when they need to but we don't have like a weekly we're not doing weeklies right now Uh but they were both really wonderful they let me like text them at two o'clock in the morning and I'd be like I feel horrible I don't know what's going on and they would write me back and I really thought that it's I think it's I really think it's I feel like it's the care that someone should expect I think that those kinds of doctors exist and people should find them seek them out and you shouldn't be going through such an enormous, huge chemical change like that and be expected to only get help between the hours of nine and six. Right. You know, I think that so, you know, they wow. were really great people and really like shepherded me through that process. So I get the other side and now I feel totally different. Yeah. Like how I mean, I don't feel totally, I feel more like myself and I actually feel more like how I did when I was a kid. But you still feel some anxiety. Yes, sometimes. right. Exactly. Yeah. And right. You still totally. Feel some sadness and you still feel some. Oh, I feel anger. all you I feel, feel all the feelings. The, I feel all of the feelings. They just I feel, feel like, right sized. Yes. And I feel like the thing what it is the medication has stopped is the uh, circular thoughts right. of, of feeling like because I feel like this, I'm a bad person and therefore shouldn't blank. I right. that that's what stopped is that I can I totally had ang- like when you know as you said earlier when we were in previews and opening night I had like total dry mouth yeah you know I had I noticed like when I extended my hand I could see my fingers like shaking a little bit uh-huh. but that was the end of the story right whereas when I wasn't on the medicine it was like I have dry mouth because right I'm not ready and I shouldn't be doing this show and Heidi never should have allowed me and I have no business being up here like that was what the right you know right you can accept the anxiety as a circumstance yeah in your body right rather than as like some sign exactly of some inadequacy complete yeah right exactly (laughs) yeah and now it's just like yeah of course you're nervous it's opening night right wow what a beautiful thing and like isn't that so great wouldn't we all love to just be able to be that in our lives yeah like of course you're feeling blank right yeah you're a human i know 
accept. Perfectly acceptable. <laughs> um, okay, I have questions for you. Yeah, uh, and we're we're gonna, we're like nearing the end of our time here. Um, I can hear Albert. She sounds like she's having fun. I know our kids oh, are that having makes me fun. Feel good. Isn't that fun? Yeah, our kids are having fun together. Oh my I know. God. I love it. Um, okay, I have a couple. I have three things I want to touch on, and I don't know if we're gonna get to touch on all of them. But mm-hmm. let me just uh, start with this. You said before something where, like, you you were saying that um, you saw a video or like there was something that sort of was changing, and then you mentioned that that changed your, your consciousness in some way. And you mentioned Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, sometimes when things are unexpected, like when you're not expecting something, it can kind of like get past your filters. Yeah. Right. Totally. And I'm curious, like, how do you set up the circumstances in your life? Like Mm -hmm. what are your practices? What are your daily practices? Um, how do you set yourself up for feeling good and doing your best and getting on that stage and like um, having cool unexpected things poke through your filters? Yeah. What do you do? Well, I think that definitely because I used to do a lot more of it. I think, you know, like being a A mom. mom Yeah. You really have to like kind of essentialize things. And so for me, I feel like the two like non-negotiable things are like sleep and protein. Mm. And those are really, I definitely used to meditate more and I did chant and my daughter like, you know, I've chanted enough that she'll like chant with me sometimes. What do you chant? Which uh, I do uh, the Nichiren Buddhism. Can you do it? Yeah. Uh But I used to know the whole, do I know that? Yeah, Hoben Pan by Nini G Session Jusan Rai Sanyo Joe Sari Hatsu Joe but Chi Jinjin Murio Joe Chi Yeman. Yeah, sorry, whatever. Yeah, I love that. And so, <laughs> so yeah, how, how many times time. would you chant it? Um one of I mean, I think one of the things that drew me to Nichiren was that um you do it however many. You know, if, mm. if you have time for one, you do it once. If you had time for ten times, you do it ten times. And what does it do for and you? And so I liked that about it. I find um uh, it's just very calming. Uh, something that I learned from an acting teacher, uh, you know, because sometimes you would, I, I would think sometimes I was like, what is the value of, I do know what the words mean. I know what it is that I'm saying, but I don't speak the language. So I feel like there's definitely like a, I know generally what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have mm-hmm. like the complexity and know all of it. You know, mm-hmm. if you pulled out one word, I'd be like, I don't know what that word means, mm-hmm. but I know mm-hmm. that that sentence, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, you know, really what's the value of me saying something if I don't speak the language? I don't know what the words are that I'm saying. I'm just generally saying to myself, like, be forgiving. Life has struggle in it, mm. you know, and I, there's a little part of me that's skeptical about that. Um, you know, that, that the words, you know, that, you know, this, which is, you like know, the, the, the words Nichiren can impact you without you knowing what they mean. Yes. And that, that Nichiren, because the Nichiren is the, um, is the Japanese, um, it, you know, it's, uh, the, the Japanese translation of the Chinese, which mm. is, um, is then a translation of the Sanskrit. Mm. So I was like, you know, I want to be like, so, we can't pretend that there's like, you know, it's not, it's not a spell. It's a language, a translation, you know? Um, but I had an acting teacher who taught me about the vagus nerve, you know, and the vagus nerve is, um, what's related to, uh, you feeling stress. Mm. Um, and something that she taught me to calm down, you know, is you get in the bath and you hum, Mm. um, because when you're humming the vagus nerve, 
relaxes. You're gesturing to like your sternum. Yes, right. That's where, yeah, yeah your vagus nerve is kind of like underneath like where your um, xiphoid process is, Ooh. if I may. Which, which is, is the very bottom part of your rib, this little, yeah. that little right roundy part there. right like in and your sternum your, like the top like the bone where, right like, that exactly bone makes the curve. yeah your, yeah your zygote yeah. process and then right there is your vagus nerve and that's kind of, right that's i mean that's where kind of people feel like ooh, i got like a and that's bad like the, feeling. your third chakra that's oh like, is it yeah, yeah. oh and i didn't it's know survival that. it's the right. chakra that like you know like you oh i didn't know that yeah like a lot of times like it well it's like you're I mean, I, you know, by the way, again, like, I'm just an actor, guys. Oh, shit. <laughs> but, like, this is, like, uh, like, I, like, I remember one time feeling, like, really, really scared, and that part of me felt, like, so aggro. Like, I felt like mm. I could feel it, like, yeah, pulsating. Right. And then I remember I went to a ch- chakra healer, mm. and he said, can I cut a lime over your body? Oh! And then he cut a lime over my body. Wow! It didn't do anything. Oh, it didn't? No. Oh, because I would like, be like, ooh, that sounds but like, great. But I felt like he did validate that, like, the third chakra, which is where you're pointing, this vagus yeah, nerve, is, right. like, a really important part yes. of feeling okay. Right. Like yes, right. Like a state of okay. Yeah, you're yeah. so right yeah. about feeling okay, definitely. Yeah. And so she said that a doctor had mm-hmm. told her to lie in a bath and hum to feel okay because when you're humming and then when you're in the bath the water is taking the vibration mm. so your body is able to feel them more deeply and so mm. it's more calming instead of so right water being mm. more receptive than air mm-hmm. or whatever and um that was a doctor who told her to do that after uh you know when she was feeling a lot of grief out of, mm. after a parent died and so she was telling me to do that to relax and um that kind of, I was like, that's how I understood the chanting mm-hmm. is that it's like, I mean, it does make sense. I think what you're saying and you have to, and it is helpful to know what it is that you're saying, to know that what you're saying is something that's kind to, to yourself mm-hmm. and to the world. But I think beyond that, it's you're it vibrating something. your vagus nerve. Yeah. You're yeah. sitting for 20 minutes right. and you're vibrating your vagus nerve right. and you're ta- and it's giving you, like you said, the sensation of feeling okay. It does something biochemically. Yeah, that's so that that's what I think is going on. Um, okay. Again, I'm not a doctor, although I'm not as um, I don't readily admit it as you do. I feel like I want to be like Marie Dizia, actor, PhD. <laughs> like I'm not. Well, so I'm just, being, I'm just like disclaiming things. Because no, I think that's important. No, you're right. I'm such an asshole. Like, like I don't I'm want always people like, to <laughs> think that like I, you know. I don't know. I mean, I'm also, look, I'm not a doctor, but guys, I'm pretty confident that I know everything. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Um, no, That's I don't so think I know everything. Of course, I think I know absolutely nothing, which is also everything. Okay. That's so funny. Um, I think I read this article in Harper's like years ago, and it said that when this person was talking about um, whenever they said something ridiculous, like a half remembered fact or mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. that they would be like, I think I read about it in a modern jackass. <laughs> and was there like. <laughs> And that's always in the back of my head. I'm like, well, I'm quoting from modern jackass. Modern jackass. What I often say is like, I'm totally making this up. Right. Yes. Because I basically no, it's important. Right. So um, okay. So can you talk? There's here. Here's what I have written down that I want to ask you about, and maybe you can talk about how because they're related for sure. Mm -hmm. I want to know your teaching. I didn't know your teaching. I love that you're teaching. So I want to know about what you're telling your students, and Mm -hmm. and especially if you could somehow. Uh, talk about what you're telling your students in regards to authenticity. 
Oh, yeah. In your life. And maybe mm-hmm. you could like throw in a little something <laughs> about like self-love in there because right. I feel like it's all very related. Yes. No, I think it is too. I think that the main thing that I talk about with my students and definitely like I was just talking about that uh, Charles Bukowski poem with a friend, The Genius of the Crowd. And I think which is totally true. You know, like those who those who preach peace do not have peace. Mm. Those who preach peace do not have love. And I think about it all the time because I feel like when I'm – like you mean those relationship love do not have love? No, he actually, I know, I looked it up because no, I was like, me. shouldn't it be preach love? But no, it really, he wrote, he said peace those twice. Those who preach peace do not have peace. Those who preach peace. peace and then I think he's love. like taking it another step okay, further. He's like, do not have love. Well, that's really interesting. Because I guess preaching doesn't lead to peace or love. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the people yeah. who need to say it are the people, the people who are saying it are the people who need, need who need most to hear right. it. And so I do think about that when I'm teaching. Like, I feel very much like we're all in it together. And mm-hmm. the reason why I'm telling them this stuff is because I need to hear it too. Like, yeah. I know, you know what I mean? I'm always like very aware that I'm like also in the boat with yeah, them. Yeah. But um I feel that the main thing that we talk about is that the whole thing is the play and that um all the thoughts that you're having like one of the main things that I feel is that you know in our own lives we don't know why we get mad. You know like you're 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 in like a relationship and you're fighting with your partner and you can think that it's because they said a certain thing, but then you step away from it and you're like, oh, it wasn't really because of that. It's because of this other thing, right? And that's how, and I was like, so why when we get on stage, are we suddenly so confident about where these feelings are coming from? Why are we saying that it came from this and it should have come from that? Mm-hmm. Don't you think that that's, and that's part of the authenticity. I feel like as an actor, we're constantly putting ourselves in this position of where I have to cry when I hear this line and it has to be, it's like, why? Yeah. You know, and, and who cares if you happen to look out in the audience and you, you see someone, you, you know, and, and that stirs an emotion with you. That's part of the thing. You're yeah. seeing it. Right. They're not imposing themselves and run up on stage. The whole thing, all of the thoughts that you're having, everything is the play. You can't yeah. make the distinction between me, not me character. So that's the main thing. And that in, being accepting of all of those Can you just things. translate that into life? Well, like let's in see. life, I don't know if I can, can it all be I think the play? Um, can it all be the play? I know, it gets so much harder when it's, because you're so right about how what's so great about acting is you just have to be a person for a finite, it's a very controlled environment. Everything gets a lot harder, I think, when you try to extrapolate it to life. But, but it does feel that, yes, that's all the things that sometimes I think that it's very much related to that Buddhist idea that, you know, let's see, like we'll see. You know, that in life that things can seem like great opportunities or horrible setbacks, but that you really never know until later. Mm. And that sometimes the things that feel like horrible setbacks in the moment are actually, you know, like for me, having that horrible time on that set Mm. was actually, I think about it now as like a really huge gift Mm. that it really allowed me to see myself clearly so that I could help myself, Mm -hmm. you know, where Mm -hmm. at the time it felt like, you know the end of my career and so mm-hmm. you know that I was like yeah you know and so I, I mean I think that maybe that's how to best mm-hmm. translate it but I really you know what I think is interesting in teaching is that um David Mamet really talks about that and um a lot of people really dislike the stuff that he writes about acting and I understand how people feel about that but I also there's another part of him that when you read his stuff, he really believes in that. He really believes that the actor walks on stage and they don't have to turn off their mind mm-hmm. and occupy this. That actually, that he's like he's said in um, that uh, the actor, the bravery that it takes to walk out on stage is all you need. Is all the bravery that you need to do mm-hmm. your part. Yep. 
you know, and I think that's really beautiful and very freeing and I think very different than what people perceive David Mamet to be. And so I actually talk about him a lot. I, I think this is life too. <laughs> like that's, yeah, I right. do think that, right? Is yeah. that like all we need is bravery. Yeah. And and you already have, and bravery is and just showing up. Like he's not yeah. saying that, you know, brave, just walking out on stage. Yeah. You know, and the acknowledge, you know, and he 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 actually talks about it really beautifully and saying like the the feeling of the croakiness in your voice and that's all you need. That yeah. all that friction of like, I have a job to do, I don't know if I can do it. Right. He's like, is all the friction that you need yeah. in order to perform anything that happens in the play. And I do think that's true in life all, too. Is all that, of the yeah, you know, like all of the uh power that comes from accepting our feelings yeah. is what gives us this bravery that yeah. we need. Right, totally. You know? And you don't need, yeah. I feel like I cut you off. No. Did I was I trying to let give room. I was you. just I was like I well no no, I want to hear you, but but there was something that I was writing today and now I'm going to totally <laughs> forget what it was, but it was something about this about this bravery about Something about uh, some, I, I've been thinking a lot about self love lately, and yeah. like, uh, oh, I know it. It was it was basically that like I am. I went through this need, right? Like I I want something. Mm -hmm. I really want this thing, and then yeah. I was like, well, why do I want that? What's the need under that? And yeah. I was like, well, why do I need that? What's the need under that? Right. Yeah. And yeah. And like, what it came down to, I think, was approval. Hmm. Approval, but then like, why do I need approval? Well, it's just sort of okayness, right? Like, yeah. I want a sense of security, right. you know, and and okayness. Yeah. And then this thought that like I could give that to myself, yeah. Like I can, I can, I can make myself secure. I am okay, right? I can just say, <laughs> I am okay. Yeah, I can just say, I love me and I forgive me unconditionally. And I love me unconditionally. I love every single inch of me. And then, like, what else do I need? Yeah. What else do I really need and want beyond that? You know? Mm -hmm. Like, what if I just, I gave it to myself? Right. You know? I know. No, I think it, that is a very and like radical, that, intense That was thing. very empowering. Yeah. That really gave me a sense of bravery. And, you know, then you take it back to acting. And I remember the other day before an audition, I, for whatever reason, you know, I get nervous sometimes. Of course. Oh, my sometimes, Lord. But sometimes. I just went on an audition and I felt so calm. I was like, you know, talking, chatting with people. And then Ugh. I looked down and I had the hugest bit stain under yeah. my arm. I was like, wow. Well, you could like <laughs> hold it all at once, though. I mean, this is like what you have to do is like right, hold yeah. the nerves, except right. the nerves and have the bravery yeah you can have it all at once it can right. all be there and but I was particularly this one audition for whatever mm -hmm. reason the other day like I was like in that place where I was like I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do this yeah like, oh shit like am I but then I go like no I felt this way before and like yes. I can probably do it but but what I did was I reminded myself that I used to like a decade ago I used to say things this thing to myself and I remembered it mm. in this moment which was that like I forgive myself unconditionally yeah already right oh. whatever happens in the room I already forgive myself unconditionally for that's so great and like I promised myself that no matter what I would and the audition went great luckily, yeah you know? right but no I, I feel like it went great because of that because you had that's already part of forgiven it. yourself I think so I have to start doing that because it is the forgive I mean that but is you must you do get, that 
Uh, I'm getting better at it. I mean, you're doing like, you know, an hour and 40 minute monologue every single night, basically. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm getting better at it. And I think that, you know, Heidi's play also is really good at, um, making you do that. Yeah. And I think because, you know, because you're on stage the whole time and talking the whole time, Mm -hmm. you have to forgive yourself and move on. Every moment. You know, and I think that's actually a really beautiful part about it. You know, there's no time, you don't go off stage and sit and you're like, oh. There's right. just no time. And we so can do that in the life. machine. Yeah, right. No, exactly. You can do that in Every life. day. That's why leaving life. the audition is hard. And you get back in your car and you're like, Ooh. Oh, God. <laughs> right. But instead, you could just be yeah. like, I forgive myself. Yeah, right. And then you could turn on some music or something. Yes, totally. Or do anything. I, no, I had someone who said you should always take yourself out for something nice after. And so I've done that. And I, I tell my students to do it too. Yeah. You know, like, go oh, do like, by yourself like I mean they told me such a long time ago when it was like buy a cassette tape (laughs) (laughs) there was a long like you could like buy yourself some music so now you can I don't even know how it works now okay is there anything else that you feel like you want to say right now um the only thing that I yeah there's just that one thing because of that that book it's called how emotions are made Mm. it's a really great book and I just can't remember the author's name right now look it up but what's so great she says that um She's a, a neuroscientist, and she says that your your brain basically has to run a movie because it takes too many calories in order to see everything all the time. Mm. So, like, you know, we're sitting in this room, and it's like my brain is like, you know, cat, furniture, plant is like got it, and it doesn't mm-hmm. keep seeing it. It's running the movie of those things. Mm-hmm. And so only when something uh, is very jarring mm. will it – will the movie stop and will you actually be seeing Mm. you know so it's like we all have that experience when someone like you pass by a sign and it's you're like I thought that said six and it says three and those are these awesome moments when you realize like oh that was the movie the movie was going and so I misread something or I missaw it and so reason just why I wanted to say that is because I was just thinking about um, like in my understanding of being like gentler with myself so that the things that I recognize are things that I've like the, the I've stopped the movie for mm. and so that there is a kind of authorship about it a little mm. you know and so it's like when I used to think you know like when I used to be like oh I didn't like they said that and so it's they own it not me but it's like but I chose I heard it yeah and that like starting to feel that there's like an authorship in receiving yeah you know and what you receive and that your, d- does that make sense yeah. and that, you know and start, starting to think of like how you receive and perceive the world is as much an author that your brain is you know, you're authoring the world that's oh, why i love phone, that guys. That's <laughs> my and so i just wanted i just because i think that's a really and, and there's something i think about on stage a lot and that i also think about in life that i'm seeing the things that yeah. I see, you know what i mean and that someone else sees really does see the world differently and they're running a different movie in their head and their movie is stopping for different reasons and you know, and I just think that's really yeah. amazing, you know. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about uh, <clears throat> being an author of your consciousness or shifting yeah. your consciousness. Right. Totally. Right. And I feel like recognizing that you're an author, right, exactly, is what allows you to then to shift it yeah. and not feel just constantly like the world is this thing that's coming at you yeah, or whatever, you know. Exactly. But you're, but it's a great book, How Emotions Are Made. Love it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Um, that's really beautiful. Yay. Really, mm-hmm. like, really, thank you. I'm so glad. It's so I nice know, to see you. So I can't nice it's the nicest reunion too. ever.
Okay, we're recording. Okay, great. Hi. Hi. Okay, I'm really, really happy to see you. I'm happy to see you too. And I was just telling you that the reason that I'm doing this is because I, um, I want to have like, I want to know how you've been for these past. I, and now I can't even totally remember, but you were here oh. doing. Um, it was right before. It, I, yeah, I was doing Constitution, what the Constitution means to me. Yeah. And in LA, right? When was that? Was, when did you We leave? saw each other in I, uh, February. February. Yeah, it was like right before. Yeah, because so, then I went to Chicago. I did the show like a couple of times and then they were like, it's COVID now. And so you should go home. And, and then what was that like for you to like pack up Chicago? Like you had a whole tour. It wasn't only Chicago. It was like you were going to Chicago and then something else, right? Um. Well, I was going to go later. Like I was going to go to Chicago and then when Chicago, I was going to be there for like a month and a half. Then when that was done, I was going to go home, but then go back out later at like cities TBD. TBD. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so there was a longer life ahead. Um, but yeah, so I mean, the whole thing was so surreal, right? Because at the time, everything felt like a hiatus, right? People didn't say, okay, you're going home now right. and we won't, <laughs> things won't get back to normal until 2021. Everything was like, oh, you know, two weeks, right? right. And, you know, I had, I mean, yeah, two and weeks and then a month and then two right, months. Exactly. And then I was like, well, not definitely not till fall. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> yes, I guess exactly. not till winter, spring. And then it just right. like keeps going. And now it's like not till fall of 2021, but not even that. Probably it's like more like, People are 2022, thinking like realistically. Summer. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, now it just feels like whatever anyone's prediction is, just like add six months to it. So like, like what, work. I mean, mm -hmm. what, when you, so you came home and like you were mm -hmm. sort of, yeah, you weren't expecting it all to, I mean, at first it might've been kind of nice to have a break and like be at home and. Right, right, right. To get to, cause Albertine was, we had been, um, uh, my husband was flying her out and, you know, we would, or I would go and get her and we'd spend two weeks. So we were doing two weeks on and two weeks off so that mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. got to see her. Um, and so, yes, it was nice. I was actually, the weekend that I ended up going home was a weekend that I was supposed to fly out, get Albertine, come back and then do the show on Tuesday. Uh -huh. But instead, you know, but instead, instead you just I was going home, home to stay. So, okay. So COVID happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like so many other sort of consciousness changing events would, and one of those things for sure, I would call George Floyd, although mm -hmm. it's a shame that it took someone being publicly lynched for us to pay as much attention to the murders that had been happening for so long of innocent black people constantly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not that we didn't pay attention before, but I think like for me, certainly it was like, all of a sudden, then I paid extra attention. Mm -hmm. Did did you have that experience? Yeah, I did very much. I mean, I think that, you know, I felt like uh, we were in Maine and, you know, so secluded. I was like struggling a little bit in Maine because it was so far away and we were in a very remote place. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that a part of it was being on Instagram all the time. And so... Mm -hmm really seeing people's response and kind of getting, you know, it's such a different way to see the news where you're not just seeing the news processed through someone else's interpretation, you know, like CNN or something like that, but you're seeing a first person account, you know, someone turned on their 
camera and videotape something mm-hmm. you're watching it and there isn't anybody who's edited it in order to tell a certain story so you're able to see you know so I yeah so yeah so I I would just you know like so many people just uh, became um like you said, much more aware and the difference between reading a headline and having your own interpretation of what that means to actually being it and seeing moments of a person's life and yeah, being able, you know, yeah. Uh, Cause I, I, yeah. And so it went. And so um, my daughter and I um, made um, a keychain, you know, like we were, making perler bead keep oh yeah i ordered some owl oh, yes. barrettes yes. which august yes. loves and ice so... cream barrettes did you yes. say ice cream ones too yeah yeah, yeah. Well, this ice was cream, for ice cream was... ones were special for you and oh, the other person gosh, who got like the best oh that's so nice. the other person who got ice cream barrettes was uh my friend marcia stephanie Oh my gosh, we're so Um, lucky. Those were so special. And, but they were for a cause, right? To, for, yeah, we were were selling money. We were selling them to make money so that we could give money to um, No Kid Hungry, uh, Equality for Flatbush, and Black Lives Matter. I love it. And And what, what inspired that? um, Well, at first, I mean, we were given the perler, you know, like we were for the first place that we, the first remote place that we were, because I think that we had some weird logic that we were going to like outrun, like we were in like a zombie apocalypse (laughs) where we were like, okay, we're going to outrun it. Outrun COVID. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to outrun COVID. And then we're going to outrun it. Like the way we've seen on HBO. On the walking dead. Yeah. Or whatever. (laughs) whatever, Like an AMC. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like the first thing that you do is you go to a really remote area. Yeah, like, yeah. So we were just, you know, so first we went to Massachusetts, then we went to New Hampshire, and then we went to Maine. And I was like, oh, it was really, that was really, it was just challenging for me because I really, like a lot of other people, I like being around people. Yeah. I really do. And even, you know, um, but so when we were in New Hampshire, this um, mother who had, like, uh, my husband's, my sister-in-law found her on Facebook and she was a mother in the area whose children had grown, but she still had all of their perler beads. <gasps> and wow. it was like, this was the moment that she was saving it for. So she gave us all these perler beads. And at first I was like, what am I supposed to do with these? Yeah. Oh my God. But then we were, th- you know, but I think that's the, like, you know, the extended, the, I mean, one of the things of COVID, right. Is just like the extended contemplation, right? Like, you know, where something that initially I would have been like, oh, screw it. Now I have to throw these things away. Yeah. Right. You know, instead it's like, I spent time with it and it's like, okay, well, what can I do with them? And like, what, you know, so we decided to make these owls because that is the mascot of my daughter's school. And it just started to get bigger. So at first it was going to be just to like raise money for her school. And then, like you said, as you know, all of these horrific events happened, it felt like, oh no, we should raise money for a larger community. And it was like, well, let's see, like, let's see what we can do. And, and how did that shift the, um, like, how did that, did that, sh- did that shift your house at all or your experience of, tell me about it? It did. Well, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, that's so, you know, in some way I was like, oh, that's so interesting that like I made a job for myself in a way that like, it, you know, that that is, 
for better or for worse or whatever, how I orient myself, you know, that it's like work. And so every, you know, time was so formless on the only, I'm like, that's interesting. The only way that it occurred to me to shape time was to be like, okay, here's a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and now you do this job. And mm-hmm. there is something I liked about, you know, that it was a physical job. It wasn't a thinking job, you know, like it's like, okay, now sit and <laughs> make these things yeah. with my daughter and, you know, whatever, heat them, assemble them. You know, and I feel like we did, I thought it was nice for my daughter to like learn all the different steps of like you make something and then we went on Squarespace and like made a web page uh-huh. together and we took pictures and you know like it's all the different things and some things she was more excited than others <laughs> um and so um yeah and so I just you know I just did this episode my last episode it's actually it's coming out this week with um you know Amir Arison right Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, so he just recently sort of his new motto is, um, and I'm gonna screw it up, but it's something like create, donate, feel great. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, and it's like it's like create, like if you you know cre- you know what whatever that is, like paint something or or plant something or you know and then if you can't do that or you don't have the time for that donate you know whether that's time or money or a compliment to somebody or whatever and then that 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 in fact like the giving really you receive so much just from giving um and so part of my question had to do with like like I wondered if you know it, the the giving back of that of that action with the with the barrettes sort of countered any of the um sort of depression maybe that you might have been feeling at the beginning and yeah no I, I I definitely felt a lot of depression throughout the throughout COVID I mean like a lot of people did um and I and it really did help like it did feel like you know when we were trying to figure out what to do with the perler bead um that had uh it was the plural of beads bead bead, bead. <laughs> <laughs> perler bead i know yeah it could no, it be. Should be, it, no it should be beads but there's a way in which it was just like the perler bead. we had beads situation we had yeah. so much bead <laughs> exactly that's so funny <laughs> we had a lot of bead um that it did feel that like in thinking about it that the answer was not make something and sell it and keep the money, you know, that it didn't yeah, feel yeah. Like it, it did, and it feel like that was early on and it did feel like that was a part of the, because the main idea with the project was to feel right, was to find yeah. a way to feel good and feel productive and without actually having a discussion about it, it did, you know, with my daughter, it didn't feel like the answer to, to feeling better is going to be to make five hundred dollars or whatever, right? Of course, whatever yeah, is, yeah, know, yeah. And then do yeah. it with it. So that's well, I don't mean to say, of course. By the way, some people might think that is the answer, but I, it, it yeah, seems no, like I mean, and other me. things in my life. I mean, I do feel like that's the answer there. Sure, yeah. I'm like, oh, if I could just make this amount of money, then right? All of this will all be very good, right? <laughs> Although, of but, course, you probably know from experience that usually that's, that's not not the case. case. Yeah, yeah. But there's just <laughs> that serotonin hit when the box arrives. Yeah, like right. The thing that you bought, and then quickly after that, you're yeah, like on to the next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what was I going to say about? Oh, yeah, what you were saying about what Amir said about create, um, donate, feel great. I really mm-hmm. like that so much. Is that I feel like it's like a good. 
like, um, uh, not antidote, but like answer a little bit. Cause I just read this article that was saying like Jeff Bezos and it was actually an article from the street. So mm-hmm. it was about, you know, like it was in, you know, praising Jeff Bezos and saying that he had like this really great important motto, which is to create more than you consume. And apparently that's like his whole ethos behind mm. Amazon. Mm. And I've just been thinking about it a lot just because the article was, you know, was positioning it as like, you want to be this way. And it's true. Like none of us want to be solely consumers, right? There's something about that that is disappointing. But I was like, what I was thinking about and I thought I felt ultimately critical about was like, it doesn't mean create just physical things for other people to consume. Like in some way that's kind of just like giving someone else a problem. And that the idea of like creating being like, creating a new way of thinking or, mm-hmm. you know, creating, um, an attachment or something that, you know, to, with someone that hasn't mm-hmm. been there before, you know, or like building something that is, you know, emotional or, um, you know, in, in your thought and not just creating. And I feel like the Jeff Bezos thing is just like literally creating physical things. <laughs> So you are, but you, you're a very creative person. I mean, that like your job is a creative job. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, I mean, and you know, you're an artist, you make your living as an artist. Um, do you have moments? Have you had moments of like, since we last spoke when your creativity has felt really challenging, like when you oh. don't want to create shit? Oh and, yeah. And so, totally. and how well, I think that's part of like doing the owl thing with my daughter. That was also like part of it where I wanted to be a part of it, you know, that it mm-hmm. wasn't just like, oh, Albertine, you should do this. And like, I'll help you do it and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But I wanted to make the stuff. And that I was like, because I was, you know, because I was depressed when I was doing it, that I was, um, I was like, wow, look at you. Just <laughs> like making, because I was like the, I was like, look at you just like doing this craft. That's like kind of like, it's a little mindless, right? You just like put the things, like once you figure out your template, you just like keep copying it over and over again. Yeah. And I was like, wow, look at you. Just so happy with this repetitive task. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And you know, as a way to just be like, what you don't have, like, I didn't have any creativity I right. at all. Like I was right. hard pressed it felt like the bare minimum in a way. It did. Like, it felt like the bare yeah. minimum that all I could do was I could take these different color beads and stick them on little things right. and then iron them. And right, I right. In. In there was, and I have to say, like, when we took pictures and put them on the website and stuff like that, I also, I did have a little bit of an embarrassment where I was like, this is me, like, at my best right now. Like, this is me, like, working the hardest and doing it. And what I came up with is a barrette and a keychain. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it was, like, the best barrette and the keychain. And you were giving That's back so to the world right now and all of that. That's things. so nice. So did but you I was thinking that way. I was like, I didn't invent, like, a new... You know, but like, like did, how did you Lamar. move? Yeah, but how did you move from that sort of like self-critical slash like, you know, and how did you move from? I mean, do you feel like you're back? You're back? Like, do you feel like you feel creative again and and inspired? And yes. Uh huh. You do. Yes. I well, on and off. I, on and off. Right. I have bursts of it, and then I feel like what I'm noticing a little bit is I could use a little more yang. You know, I feel like I have the yin of like yeah. idea, like here's what I want to do. And then I'm like, and now a nap instead of yeah. like, okay, like let's execute it. Like let's figure out how to get it into the world. And So and, I think that I'm just kind of dealing with that by talking to friends about ideas. Uh-huh. 
And, um, you know, it's like that makes them alive so that the ideas don't die. Mm. And then I feel like what I really just need to do now is, um, I need to like, now I need to do the writing part. Like now I need to do it. You need to like put pen to paper. Yeah. And that's taking a little bit more. I can't quite find the. I mean, (laughs) Yang, I feel like is actually like a really good way to say it. Like, it's like, Mm. I don't know, you know, it's like, sometimes I sort of feel like I question how I question the value of Yang, honestly, not really more than, no, I don't question the value of it. I question whether like it's an entity in and of itself that we can like harness. Like uh what I wonder sometimes is more like, can we trust the being that the being will Mm. lead to the doing or that actually like the being is the doing and that we can trust. Like I always go back to this. I always, always, always go back to this. Um, Deepak Chopra, I heard Deepak Chopra say this thing because he's Mm. written like, I mean, I don't, the number now is, I have no idea. It's probably close Mm. to a hundred, like in the nineties, he's written like 90 books. Yeah. Oh, like so many books. This man has written so many books in his life. I just do do the meditation that he and Oprah do. I love They're really good. Yeah. (laughs) They're really good. I I haven't read any of his books so he swears that the books essentially have like written themselves like he's put like no effort into writing the books Mm. that it all feels very effortless and like I always think about that because it seems impossible you know like it's like what does that even mean I mean you know blood sweat and tears has had to go into these books but he really feels like it's sort of come very effortlessly and I um I feel like that is like my ultimate aspiration is to be able to create just by being, you know, and I think it's possible. Like, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I actually had a, an experience of this fairly recently where I, I've been, I've tasked, I tasked myself over the course of this pandemic with writing short films. Mm-hmm. And I wrote two of them and it, there was a lot of sort of effort involved and they were great. And I was really proud mm-hmm. of the product. Um, and then I wanted to write another one that would be like sort of easy to direct. And I, um, in that one, like I literally like got in the bathtub one day and I just kind of like came and I did like two drafts of it. And, <laughs> and it's like one of the strongest things I've ever written and I'm actually going to direct it in a month. And it's like, you know, like it just kind of, it did, it kind of, I almost like, it's the closest I've ever come to having that experience of like, you know, that let, and I feel like if you want to extend it, sorry, I'm just, now I'm talking so much, but like, if, <laughs> like if you want to ex- extend it to acting, it's like, mm-hmm. and I think we talked about this actually in our last, um, in our part one, we talked yeah, about, yeah, like, like, um, like how it's all a process of like, generating and then receiving, you know, Mm. like, it's like, Mm -hmm. you can't, you know, like you have, if you force anything, then you're just, it's just resistance, you know, like it blocks things. Yeah. And that what's happening is never, um, what's actually happening is always much more interesting than your idea of what should happen. Right. Yeah. And so I think, right. And so I think it sounds like similarly, like what you're talking about is the difference between like trying to like muscle an idea or being like, this is right. Like I want to do something about this rather than writing the thing that's just available to you or allowing whatever it is available to you to come up. Yeah. That's it. To like, yeah. Like, like I, that can... also seems to me like, yeah, I mean, I've, um, I'm obsessed with those masterclasses. Yeah. Uh, I love them too. I, right. Oh, have you watched the one, the Neil Gaiman? 
one? No, I haven't. Should I watch it? You have to watch it. It's so good. Okay. It's so good because in it, he says, he's like, what is an idea? And his definition of an idea is so good. He says that it's two things that interest you together. And that's an idea. Ooh, I just got chills. I I love that so much. Are you kidding? Yeah. Isn't that brilliant? And so, and when he, that's why it's so wonderful. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes you don't want to have definitions and you want to break out, but other times, like sometimes people just like clearing the pathway a little bit can be so helpful. And so I feel like in that way that he cleared the pathway a little and that it's like, right, two, two things, like two disparate things that interest you, the way that they come together, that's your idea. Yeah. Like the way, yes. you know, and so that makes a lot of things like, you know, um, it feels like it opens stuff up where I think before when I would look for an idea uh, or I guess that's the thing as I would look for one. <laughs> yeah. Know, I would just be like looking in like this big fog and now it feels more available that it's like, oh, there's tons of things that interest me, you know? And then it's like, oh, well, mm-hmm. what if I put those two things together mm-hmm. with those two? So now it feels much more abundant than it Like you before. can, Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, and then you just pursue the one where it's like you put a bunch of things together and then you pursue the one where you have the most energy for it, you know, where you're just Mm -hmm. like, this one seems to have. And so it feels similar, like with, um, you know, with characters too, that like, rather than feeling that, you know, the, the characters on some other plane, you know, and you have to find it and get on the same plane as a character that instead that she can these two parts of the script or the stories and that interest you like where those two things intersect and then that's where like that she grows out of there in some way mm, that's so it's more interesting to me well also it's like there's something about like to get very broad like there's mm-hmm. something that just feels like there's it, there's a very allowing energy and sort of this one one area and then in the other area there's like this very like um like kind of like forcing energy almost yeah you know right right um yeah and and like obviously we we make better art when we allow than when we force like yeah. of course we do of course right. we do. no completely who is that who's the comedian that you interviewed because i have been obsessed with the thing that he said um his his he's greek what's his name the greek comedian <laughs> Oh, Jason Manzukis. Yeah, is he or is it just people want him? No, to I think Greek? he is Greek. No, he is. Okay, because I remember I think that is a Greek last name. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Um, I mean, he's amazing. A. Yeah. But B, listening to him talk was so wonderful. And the thing that he said, I have been obsessed with since I heard him say it on your podcast. Which one? That you have to be present with the other person. And that he says that if he's, if he's watching something and like a look passes on this person's face and the other actor yes. or like improver doesn't respond to it, he's like, yeah. oh, those people aren't in the connected. same moment together and they aren't connected. And then it takes him out of the thing. And I have been obsessed with that. Oh my God. And I'm so glad that he said that because it just, because I think, um, you know, sometimes as actors, you wonder, you know, what is in the story and what's helping the facilitating the story and what stuff this that's like kind of 
um, like outside of it and not, you know, and I think that that just saying that is being like, no, it's your job. Like it's your job to pay attention to the other person. Yeah. And that noticing them is not like somehow being like, could you please not acknowledge that person messing up (laughs) because then we can't use either of your takes. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, but then it says like, no, that all needs to happen. And I mean, I do think that it's totally part of the ethos of like UCB of make your partner look good. And that like, if you're ignoring them, that you're not, making them look good yeah. or being like, okay, that was a, like, we're just, you know, I'm ignoring that, uh, like thing that stupid thing that they said or, you know, whatever that stumble. But well, instead also, of when you pay attention to the person, you're actually like looping it back into the narrative being like, yeah. are you having trouble finding the word that may, right. Instead of just kind of silently watching someone else struggle. Or yeah. Well, also what I love so much about what you're saying is that like, it really is the intersection of like doing and or like giving and receiving or right, doing yes. and being because yeah you're still in the scene yourself right like you still have to trust yourself enough to to be like basically like doing what you're doing and being what you're being or what the character is being or like wherever yeah. you are sort of in that moment in the scene and also take in the other thing that the other person's doing and allowing that to inform, like trusting that however mm-hmm. that might inform you is only going to enliven you, you know? Yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of the times I think, especially when I've been on the receiving end of that, when someone has been like, what just happened there? <laughs> like yeah. This is actually like a huge gift, like rather than feeling called out and embarrassed, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, we can acknowledge it and it can be in the world. And it's actually, you know, I felt so grateful when someone has done that to me. Wow. I love it so much. I love it so much. And I feel like just like, you know, and these part does, we're supposed to be pretty short here, but, um, and so we, but I'm not rushing us at all because I love this conversation so much, (laughs) but like, if I were to kind of bring it back to like the larger, conversation about COVID and life and everything that's happening. Like there is something about, um, you know, there's so much that I want to resist right now in the world. Like there's so mm-hmm. much res- I just want to like, I hate it all. I hate mm-hmm. the thing, the injustices that are happening, the lack of accountability that's happening, like specifically on the part of the fucking police departments everywhere across the world. Like I, there's so much that's like really, you know, I feel enraged by, um, and just like people not getting vaccines, like, because of all sorts of made up things. And like, I mean, right. you know, there's like lots of, um, I mean, just so many things like happening in the world that like, I want to murder. Um, Mm. and also there are some incredible blessings like happening, like all around, like not only personally in my life, but also like in the world, beautiful things, people are coming together. You know, people are standing up for people they've never met before. Like Mm. if you take a look at everything that's happening, there's also just such beautiful things. So I guess where, where I was going with this is like, you know, is in the creative process, what we're talking about is, you know, sort of simultaneously like doing and being, or, you know, uh, allowing, which I guess is the being. And I guess, you know, um, like, um, I don't know, what would you call the opposite of allowing? Um, receiving, I mean, you're allowing, I guess I can't tell if the allowing is like, I think allowing, I mean, it depends. Maybe so the giving, maybe you call it giving in and, and receiving, but then the idea is that like, can we, can we have, can we, can we bring that same kind of allowance to our lives? 
is sort of the question that I'm posing. Like, can we, and in so doing, do we feel the same kind of relief that we might feel when we're on stage and somebody's sort of mm. allowed us to, or, or that we've sort of allowed them and we've yeah. allowed, you know, is, is that, is it sort of like an acceptance maybe? That's such an interesting thing because I, um, right. Because that is like such like years, like easily, like easily like 10 years ago. So maybe 15 years ago or something, I met this woman who was a visual artist. Like it's all like, I don't remember her name. Like there's so many things. About, like, <laughs> yeah. but I met this woman who's a visual artist and we were having a conversation and, um, she said to me that art stands for the world. The reason why it is interesting and worthwhile to contemplate something that someone else has made is because it's a metaphor for the world. And because it's a metaphor, you can do things in the art that you can't necessarily do in the world. So for instance, like something can be brutal and horrible and you can, you know, it would be a brutal and horrible um, piece of art, uh, whether it's a story or just something visual. And you're allowed to just stand there and contemplate it and allow it the way in which if it happened to the wor- in the world, you don't want to be the person who's necessarily just contemplating the violence. You want to mm-hmm. be the person who's you know, fighting it, hoping. Or, right, right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I feel kind of similarly, actually, that I feel that like that the allowing is almost as like preparing for something that actually hasn't arrived yet. And so that in a way that us being able to allow in our art is a way for us to like practice and rehearse a way to be in the world that it feels like actually right now, is a time in the world where boundaries need to be set and things have to, demands have to be made and things have to be changed. And it mm-hmm. feels that we, it's not a time to allow in a way, it's mm-hmm. a time to say this can't continue and things need to be figured out and you can't, and you know, the police departments, for instance, you cannot have this money. Mm-hmm. Money is not yours, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and like uh, things need to be changed, and it feels like be- because it does feel that there are certain times, and you know, I also think about um, a lot. Like it just, I mean, these two ideas feel disparate, but they also feel I can't quite. I haven't said this out loud before, so I can't yeah. quite figure out how like how they go together. Yeah, yeah. But it just reminds me of you know when I um, heard uh, Tanasi Coates talk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He was talking about his worldview, which a lot of people view as pessimistic, you know, and which he's mm-hmm. had, you know, in places like where he feels like he really differs, you know, in his conversations with Obama and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that, you know, that Martin Luther King said that the, that the, um, uh, the, you know, justice of the world, you know, that the world moves very slowly towards justice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that Tanasi Coates said that he feels that the world moves very slowly towards chaos. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that that was like a largely pessimistic view. And but I, obviously, I mean, I thought about it so much since I heard him say it. And it does feel that's like I can see. And I, now, you know, what he was talking about has is much more visible to me now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I see. And I feel like that, yes, it's things towards chaos. And so it feels like when you're in a world that is in chaos, it's not necessarily the world that you can allow in. 
Mm -hmm. right? It feels like the thing that you're working, you know, the way that like you have to clean your house so that entropy doesn't take over. Mm. It seems like similarly, like we, there's a lot of shit that we need to do in some way. I don't know. I feel like maybe now I'm understanding what I meant was that in some way it's like for, uh, you know, white people who we haven't been paying attention and things have entropy and chaos has taken over because Mm -hmm. we were not as vigilant, vigilant rather as we should be. Does that make sense? And so it feels yeah. like now is kind of a yangy time of action. Well, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think what makes most sense to me about what you're saying is that um I read some book uh years ago that I think was just called like yin and yang or something. Oh, uh-huh. But basically that like if you actually look at the symbol of like the yin yang symbol, yin yang, the where that that it's what it's actually representing is a cycle. Like that you can't actually oh. have the yin without the yang. Oh, that's like, so interesting. That they're so that they're completely interwoven and that actually like ah. they're moving in and out of each other. Um, right. Yes. That totally makes sense to me. And right. And now it seems like a time that we need to do stuff. And then yeah. After we do stuff, then we can like all allow and. Well, or, and yes. And, and like at every yeah. moment while there are like the bigger trends, mm. like, can we also like, you know, if we make it like micro, can we yeah. like allow and do you know, yes. like in right. the no, smaller totally makes moments sense to too. Me. Right. No, that totally makes sense to me because that's how. Yes, that how bright people can, that totally makes sense to me in terms of like how a person can renew themselves and renew their energy and renew their spirit in order to keep doing the stuff that they need to be doing. Right. And that if you just keep doing that, you get used up and yeah. Right? And so, so that makes total sense to me that, that you do do both. Yeah. 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 In terms of like the creative process and in terms of like the way we sort of live and make the world a better place. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Cause I, yeah, I think that, no, you're right. Cause maybe that's also part of it is that we weren't, is that what the extended like timeout of COVID mm-hmm. was, is that allowed people to kind of do both. I mean, mm-hmm. so maybe it's also like that the allowing of being in this very like COVID kind of put a lot of people in a more passive position than they had been before. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's out of that, out of being in a passive position, it allowed people to see things differently. Yeah. No, I completely and then, think that's true. Right. And then decide to take action based on a new position instead of mm-hmm. just driving ahead with your old mm-hmm. thing. It reminds me a little bit too of, I guess, young and I'm also obviously going to like totally screw this up, but yeah, apparently young, you know, when young wrote the red book, um, I know that it exists. Okay. So the Carl <laughs> young, like the way that he read the, wrote the red book, like he basically just like, he would go into these like very active imaginations and like, uh-huh. you know, deep, deep communications with his unconscious. Like he'd go into these States and like, then he would write about, Mm. what he uncovered like these real like sort of shadow excavations that he would do like Mm. by himself in this Mm. room I guess and again I'm screwing this up but something like that yeah for years right like this is what this is where so much of his work emerged um is from these sessions that he would do and always after these sessions that he would do he would sit down and create a mandala where Uh would just like kind of frankly like your pearl beads like he would just kind of like take beans or rocks 
and, you know, sort of create a pattern with them and like sit. And that that was the rest that was needed to sort of process all of the work that he had done in the shadow excavation. Oh, that's so interesting. And that just like the idea being that like the rest has to be part of the work and you can't, and, and the work won't, the work won't work if you don't have the rest and the rest won't really work if you don't have the work, you know? Yes. Um, and, and that yeah, so much sense. that's very nice. I feel like that's very, um, elevating of my perler beating, <laughs> but I, it's like you, you and your daughter did like, you guys made mandalas, you know? Yeah. It was like no, time for that. So nice. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, con- that is, is a time to like contemplate. Cause like your, your hands are busy. Yeah. It takes like a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of wisdom to go like, this is the time now for blah, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, and to, and to trust that, that insight, whatever that insight is like, this is the time now to receive, or this is the time now to harvest or, or, Mm -hmm. or like plant the seeds, you know, like this is like, No, I totally agree with you about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That feeling like you have the, especially for like you're saying, like for the rest, I mean, in some way, that's why the enforced rest. Yeah. did have that like silver lining in it. Right. Like it's a cleanser. Yeah. I mean, then everybody, I mean, there was so much depression. I mean, I definitely, I went up on my medication during it. I mean, (laughs) there are lots of things about it that were really you know, hard and stressful and stuff like that, but that there was, but, uh, the idea that I guess that resting does not, that it can be hard and stressful, but it's still necessary in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, and just like as a culture, we don't totally have that. Like, I'm just thinking about, you know, like Ramadan or whatever, like where you're not Mm -hmm. eating the other cultures I feel, you know, and other, um, you know, just have in religions and stuff like that, just kind of have like these built in times of like, I don't know. It just seems like the ancient wisdom. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, yeah, you, you just need just to like stop. Like, you just need to like stop yeah. for a little. Yeah. <laughs> like just stop and like contemplate. And I think that's something that, I mean, there's Lent obviously. Um, but it just seems like our, our culture doesn't have something that's like a secular version of like resting. Like weekends we don't. don't exist anymore, really. Yeah. No, we really, the way that they even existed when we were kids. Like weekends were a thing when we were kids and they're not now. I know. I know. They're, Busy. We're always busy. Yeah. And I was surprised that like the UPS store was open on a Sunday. I was like, really? (laughs) I mean, I was like, that's great for me because I needed to mail something. Yeah. Yeah. But I was also, I was like, wow. Yeah. I was like, when do we all like, we don't each other. Like we're just not doing anything today. (laughs) I know. I know we don't really. But that does seem like a a kind of like a modern thing is like dismantling all of that. I I like to like, I do like to like actively, I, I had some teacher at some point talking about like actively like unplanning. Oh, wow. of, like planning, just like unplanning. That's like where, where can you just like actively like leave n- space, mm. just space, you know? Yeah. That's and so and by the way, like that's such an interesting thing because like that's sort of like a perfect kind of melding of what we're talking about too, is like creating space, like essentially like create nothing, like do to receive, you know? Yeah. It's kind of right. like, I have to say, like, I think about that a lot in terms of, uh, I do think about it in terms of acting the, you know, what doctors, the Hippocratic oath of uh, uh-huh. do no harm. Yeah. I think about do no harm with acting all the time. I'm like the script, you know, I mean, I feel like I, I do think that do no harm, like the script, the story is mm-hmm. already there. 
Mm. It's like the story is there. Like yeah. you're going to be with the people. Like they're going to have the thing. It's like the first thing is just like do no don't it's fuck like, it up. Just like yeah, let, just let like it allow the sh- allow what all the stuff that's there to be there. Yeah, and then your contribution will come out of that. And I do, yeah. I do very consciously think to myself, like, do no harm. That's beautiful. I, I mean, think I, I feel like maybe I started to think that more when I started teaching. Uh huh. And that's very much how I feel as a teacher of like, do no harm. Like, don't screw them up. Just like. Yeah, just like let back. Like I feel people already have people already have their they already know it all. Mm-hmm. They they already know it all. People they're just trying to figure out how to get it out. Mm. I feel like that's the thing, you know. And, and parenting too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. parenting definitely. Yeah, that the the person is already there. You just I mean, I did read. I have you know what I've noticed over this which believe it or not, is how uh, much of a white lady I am. <laughs> That's what I really know. Because I think that I used to take, I was like, oh, I'm not a white lady. I'm Sicilian, you know, or I'm uh, Italian. Uh-huh. I was very much like with my Maria Teresa deep. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I'm Italian. I'm like, I don't know what your people's problem mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm, but this is mine. And I realized over the time, I was like, you are a white lady. So you just need to like deal with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, I'm saying that because I'm about to be like, I read an article in the New York Times. <laughs> <laughs> that's what white people do we do and that and I yeah. just feel like no, everyone um, does that too but it, part of me there, yes yeah. but I also yeah. just feel like yeah. coming out of my face it's like yeah. you could take your New York Times article yeah and uh what was I gonna say you read a New yes. York about I read a New York Times article mm-hmm. and it just said that uh you know there was a study about what mattered for kids you know mm-hmm. about this much money that much money pay a lot of attention don't pay any attention and what they discovered is you just need to love your kid yeah and i i mean that's a pretty great study they were like, it actually didn't matter. The only thing they could find in common <laughs> between the people who did, you know, who were able to take care of themselves and have, and like had like, you know, would report themselves as happy. Yeah. Right. Because what does that mean? But the the people who, the grown children who felt like they were uh, autonomous and mm-hmm. could report themselves as happy, the only thing that they had in common was that they felt that their parents unconditionally loved them. Mm. But they had all different upbringings and came from all different uh, economic backgrounds. By the way, that's also though so true. Like the unconditional piece in that is like, yeah, right. Oh my god. Yeah, that's and that's not easy. I mean, a lot of parents love a lot, but love conditionally. Like love a little bit more if you're a little more successful. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. love a little less if they're pissed off at you. Right, right, right. Something. No, that's yeah. so true. There's a great book called Unconditional Parenting by Alfie Cohn. That was like my favorite book. Um, oh, cool. I should read that. Yeah. It's really good. You know a lot cool. of it. You know a lot of it already. Do I? Okay, that's helpful. You do. But I always want to read more because I know there's just so much. It's because it's nice just to be made conscious of things. There's so many things where you're like, oh, weird. I do that. I just, yeah. You know, things that are just. So what's your next like practical step toward like, you know, letting these cool ideas that have been forming like come to life like are you can you just take a bath or like are you gonna like sit down and write or do a writing schedule or are you gonna like like what are you gonna do you have any idea 
Yeah, I think I have to, um, like I thought I could do it while I'm teaching, but I noticed that it's really hard for me to schedule other things on Mm -hmm. days that I teach. And so um, I think I'm going to have to take like two weeks off teaching. And the time that normally I would be teaching, like I think it has to be that specific time that normally I would like log on to do like a Zoom class. Instead, I'm going to like turn on my computer and write. Nice. And then do that. So you're creating space. You're going to create space. I'm going to create space because because I always do the other thing. I always think that like, oh, something will come over me and I'll be able to do it. And that's not what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is amazing. Uh, It just reminds me last, it reminds me of a guest we had named um, my, 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 one of my favorites, um, Steph. Um, She she did an episode last season, but she, she's so creative. She's like one of these so creative. She's just like Mm. one of the most creative people I know. And she also doesn't have kids. (laughs) Not that you can't be so creative when you have kids, but it's like, you know, but she, she just like naturally like, and I'm sure she will have kids and I'm sure that she'll still be just this creative when she has kids, but she's like plays music and acts and writes and like, like costume designs and like, I don't know, has business ideas. And like, she's just like one of these people that like is always, and you know, she talks about like, no, you don't have to make yourself sit down and do stuff. Cause like mm. stuff will come up, but have markers and colored pencils all over your house, like have blank pieces of paper anywhere you think you might have an idea, you know, like yeah. have comfortable corners where like, it feels like nice to sit and think or whatever. Right. Um, so like, you know, no, maybe you don't have to like do a bunch of stuff, but to to, to equip yourself mm-hmm. to create when the, then when it strikes you to kind of intentionally like put it out there that maybe something's going to come today and you want to be ready for it is like a really beautiful thing. That is, that's so helpful. That also thinks to me, uh, about parenting too. Cause I feel like maybe yeah. I don't do that enough for my daughter. Like maybe I kind of wait for her to come to me and say like, mom, I need a paper and pencil or something. That's so funny. You know, I've just been thinking about that too. I know I've just out for her about that so too. that when something, she woke up the other morning, it was so great. The very first year she woke up and she said, mom, I need paper and a pencil. I had a dream and I don't want to forget it. <gasps> oh my gosh. I love yeah, it I was so, so excited. She's much. six and a half. And, so oh, wow. and then she drew her whole dream. Oh, um, that's awesome. You know, but I think that may, I think that's a nice thing to do for a little person. And then also then maybe then she would um, get used to that, right? And just be like, oh, that's what life is supposed to be. Like you're supposed to have those things available to yourself. And then maybe she'd be able to do that as an adult without mm. all of the self-talk that it takes me to do something like that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, so I just totally be like, oh, you. that's what you do. But I love that. I'm glad you shared that. Um, well, maybe you okay. could come back in season three and tell us how that worked out. Okay. Um, I adore you. Thank you so much. This is so beautiful. I'm so glad we got to catch up. Yeah, me too. It's really good to see you. So good. So good. So good. Okay. I'm going to stop recording. Okay. Me too. That's our show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kat Foster. Reach out to us using the hashtag ActingRealPod. We really, really get those messages and we really, really answer them. Links and recommendations for this week's episode can be found at ActingRealPodcast.com. Episodes drop on Mondays. Most importantly, if you love this show, please subscribe to it, rate it, review it. We love seeing those. It means a huge deal to the show. We're so grateful for you. We love you. Have a great day. 
This podcast was produced by the incredible Augusta Chapman with help from our amazing coordinator, Hannah Barbakoff, and our very talented sound engineer, Baraka Jenga. The music, which I absolutely adore, is composed by Sean Hokinson. 